The Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on the Westwood One Podcast Network. Joining me on this episode to talk about the M3 Festival, it is singer Todd Latore from the band Queensryche. They are in the studio right now, new album coming out later this year. And then after Todd, I know you've been waiting for this for a long time, but it is a long-form sit-down interview with the one, the only, guitarist extraordinaire, Vinnie Vincent. That is correct, Vinnie Vincent. And then after that, because, hey, more is always better. Uh, from Canadian band, great Canadian band, April Wine, it is guitarist Miles Goodwin. He's got a new blues album out that you should definitely check out. And of course, I first saw April Wine back in 1981. It's been a long, long time. And of course, speaking of long time, I have on the phone with me a longtime friend from the band Firehouse, guitarist Bill Leverty. Good day, Bill. Pleasure to have you. Hey, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, you know, we definitely need to do more co-hosting uh, bits together because I've always loved your insight and, and, and I love everything. I love everything you do. So let me start there before we get to M3 and Queensryche and Vinnie Vincent and all that wonderful stuff. But um, you've got two new songs available on your website, Leverty.com, a song called Memorable and Love is like a song. Just quickly tell the folks about that. I mean, are, are these leading up eventually to an, a full album? Because I, I know you like putting out singles every so often. Um, is it just here, here fans, here's what, what, what I came up with? Or is it like, okay, here, these are sneak peeks for a full album at some point? It's both. Um, you know, I definitely, when I finish a song, I put it out. I don't, I can't wait. I've got uh, too much ADHD going on, I think. And, and uh, I've, Put the song out. I couldn't wait until I have ten of them done, but I'm on song number ten now. So there are nine that are done. Uh, they're all available through my website, Liberty.com. Uh, once I get my tenth one done, I'm going to press up some CDs and then move on to the next thing. Who knows what that is? Who knows what that is? And and l- <laughs> let me get this straight. You have all this free time to do these songs because you're a Red Wings fan, and they didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that hurt. That hurt. <laughs> Although my capitals, uh, you know, I, I'm because I'm a, lo- you know, near the DC area, I, I get capitals on a local TV, and um, it's they're they're they got a shot still. So, but they I'm do. really excited about the Vegas team, man. You know, yeah. they haven't lost a single playoff, and they came out of nowhere. So. That's exciting too for for the whole sport. I think that's really cool. That's right, and of course, your your first answer should have been, um, yeah, said the Hab fan, right? Because as a Habs fan, we're not in the playoffs either. <laughs> and and it is funny yeah. that you brought up the Capitals because I actually am wearing a Blue Jackets T-shirt, which was unintentional, ah. but you know, hey. And you're right, <laughs> Vegas man, Vegas baby. That that is. That is not just a great hockey story. That's a great sports story. And it's just a great story, period, about this team that got together. And anyway, it's it's, it's a great, great story. Yeah. Um, now, Todd Latore of Queensryche. Of course, the band is playing the M3 Festival, which is also somewhere in your backyard. You have played that before. Just, just quickly talk to me about that festival and what it was like for you as an artist playing it. But then also, as a rock fan and as a guy in the business, what does that festival mean, and what does it mean to have these kind of festivals? Well, it's great for the, for for not only our genre but for the whole music industry because uh, you know people come from 
I mean, they travel far from different continents to come to these festivals. And M3 has become such a big one that, you know, it sells out every year and they've got people that come from everywhere to be a part of the festival. And, you know, for, for those of us who have been to festivals, there's nothing like it to be in involved in an audience or as a part of a band to be a part of a festival. It's just the coolest feeling. And, uh, you know, Mitch, I'm sure you've been to them since you were, you know, a kid, yep. you know, you probably went to festivals while you were still wearing diapers, you know, um, yep. th- there's just something about, about it. And it goes all the way back to the early days when we were like Led Zeppelin fans and you get the Nebworth bootlegs and you could just imagine what it would be like to be at Nebworth in that festival. M3 is doing that and Rocklahoma is doing that. And, and now the Monsters of Rock Cruise is doing a festival on the water, which is incredible. So the fans are really have places to see bands of our genre in really cool situations. Yeah, configurations. And, and you get yeah. bang for your buck because, you know, sometimes, and you look some of the, of the major arena acts, you're paying 150 bucks, 200 bucks for one seat, for one show, for one band. And on these festivals, and we have our own here in Montreal called Heavy Montreal, where you're paying 150 bucks, sometimes 200 bucks, but it's an entire weekend pass. You're getting 10 bands, 15 bands, and all these bands that you like and love, and they'll either never come to your town because you know the, no promoter is going to take a chance on them or whatever the reason is. And here you get them all, and it's just sort of like this glorious 48 hours of your entire like light childhood and everything just being relived in front of you with these mute, you know, that, those songs capturing moments. And yeah, it's great. And well, uh, there are many things that are cool about the M3 festival. One of the ones uh, for the audience and for the bands is that they've got a rotating stage. So if you would imagine a semicircle is your stage of the band that's on stage, they got a curtain behind that, but behind the band. And then the other band is setting up behind that band so as soon as that other band is done, they rotate the stage and that other band is ready to go on right away. So it's not like you got to wait a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour or whatever for the next band to get up there and get sound checked and ready. They just rotate the stage and there's that band that starts playing right away. That's great. And they've it's like got a- multiple stages, but their main stage is like that. And it's a wonderful technological breakthrough for rock and roll. Yeah, it's like a it's like a lazy Susan in your in your fridge. You just spin it, <laughs> spin it around. Exactly it. <laughs> but and of course, uh, it is the tenth anniversary of M3. Firehouse is not on the bill this year, but you've played it, I believe, four times, and uh, I would imagine that you will be playing it again. So that I certainly look forward to. And um, you know, here we go. Let's let's listen to. We Todd. love Eric Baker. Eric Baker is the guy that runs that, and he's a genius, and he does a great job. Yes, absolutely. And Eric Baker is the one that has helped me set up interviews for the festival and has just, you're right, absolutely. He's committed. He's passionate about it. And that's what you need. That's what you need in a promoter. You need somebody who believes in the music, believes in the cause and is passionate about getting it out there. A huge set of cojones, too, because when he first started, everybody was saying, oh, it'll never work. You're taking a huge risk. You're going to lose so much money. And everything." He goes, well, I believe in this. I'm going to do it. What do you know? It's sold out and sells out every year. And he's he's got gets the last last laugh at those people so i'm really really happy that that he's it, doing it's worked out so well for him and then he he took those that huge risk to do the first one no 
Yeah, I fully, fully agree. And so uh, let's get over to Todd Latore of Queensryche. He is going to tell us about the M3 Festival and playing it, but also the band is recording a new album. And there's a little mystery on who's playing drums, and he helps uh, clarify that. And so here, without further ado, the one, the only, from Queensryche, it is singer Todd Latore. We are speaking with Queensryche vocalist Todd Latore. Todd, always, always a pleasure. The last time we got to speak was when you were opening for the Scorpions, which I guess was, what was it, 2016, 2015? It's been a while, right? I think it was... I think it was 2015. Yeah, and then we ended up doing a residency in Vegas for, for 10 days with them um, after that. So, yeah, yeah and, and good, good times. Good times. And I know that you have, at least for now, one show booked with them in September of this year. So it's nice to see that bill sort of being resurrected. Yeah, there's, re- yeah, there's actually, I think we announced two of them. But uh, there, I believe there are there are some more coming coming uh, down the way here. Oh, that's going to be great. So let's get right into this. Now, I was uh, doing this interview today for the M3 Festival. So let me just start with that. You, of course, are going to be on a bill sure. um, with all kinds of great people. But your particular night, you've got Night Ranger and Ace Fraley. Uh, and slaughter, which is going to be fantastic. But but talk to me about the importance of festivals such as M3, because you look at uh, what what would be the word heritage heritage acts or or classic acts or or bands that have had a long tenure, and it's just nice to see them on this kind of festival bill. Um, talk to me about the importance of a festival such as this to get you out there and get the fans out there. Sure. Um... Uh, we love the M3 festival. We played it many years and it's, it's an awesome festival. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting point that you bring up as far as like heritage band or some people say nostalgic bands. And is a lot of people are afraid to have that term associated with their band. But the fact is, you know, all of these bands sell memories. And, you know, we, we still create new music and there's certainly, um, a market for that. And a lot of the, the supporters of the band are really excited about new stuff, but, um, the festival like M3, uh, you've got any band that's been around decades, you know, people remember the heyday of those bands, uh, when each of those bands would sell out arenas and the hits on the radio and MTV, and it and it brings back um, a certain times in their lives and memories. And to have all of these bands be able to play one festival uh, is is a lot of fun. Uh, some of the other festivals, you know, they have younger bands. They're the the hot new flavor, um, or they're you know they're what's being played on radio right now. And so that's you know they're maybe at the peak of their career and they're playing to different different demographics, but. Um, although we do see, gosh, two, at least two generations of, of fans that come out to the, to the shows, the, the parents, and then they're introducing their kids to the music that they grew up on and loved. And so it, it's a great, uh, festival to play. They always take such good care of us. The people that come are really so passionate and that's, that's really a testament, I think, to all of the bands that are playing and the artists that after 30, nearly 40 years in the business, there's still 
uh, a market. There's still people that really enjoy the music and want to hear those songs live again. And, um, and you don't get, you don't see that a lot. Um, so it's a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to that festival and we're, we're thankful that they're having us back and, uh, it should be a really good time. Yeah. And in fact, this year, well, it's their 10th anniversary, but it'll be my first, uh, M3 festival. And I'm so, so looking forward to it. Now you talked about, uh, you know, these heritage bands that make new music. And of course, Queensryche is making new music and you have, you have tapped producer Chris Zeus Harris, which is to me, a very interesting choice because he's known for Six Feet Under and Suffocation and Hatebreed and these bands that are just very sort of, I don't want to say extreme metal, but they're, they're certainly metal metal. Is that an indication of the sort of style that you were looking for on this album, that you were going to be a little more aggressive and a little more in your face and perhaps the past? Or t- talk to me about um, the cho- no, Actually, yeah, so the choice to, to use uh, Zeus he did the last album, the Condition Human album, and you know it's because he was noted kind of for for uh, engineering those albums, you know, all the Shadows Fall records and, and Hatebreed and Revocation and you know much heavier bands than Queensrÿche. There's there's something to be said for that type of an engineer sonically because when you've got more extreme type of playing, lots of notes, heavier distorted instruments, um, lots of drum work, like a lot of things happening. So to sonically uh, engineer an album where you have so much going on, yet you can still have isolation and clarity in those recordings, but everything still sounds, you know, continuous. It's really hard to to engineer music like that and have it not get muddy and not sound well. And he's great at that. So when you give him a band like Queensryche that has less notes of playing and not all the double bass work and the, you know, more of the growling uh, type of vocalizations, but more singing, um, you know, it's, it's a, there's a lot more space. And so now it's, you know, he loves working with those bands, but when he does something with us, you know, he really enjoys that there's that there's more space in the music, and certainly it's more melodic driven and less kind of riff oriented. Um, there's certainly riffs, but you know what I mean. Stylistically, it allows for those sonic qualities to to really uh, open up, um, right. probably easier. Um, and so, you know, he did uh, Rob Zombie's last two albums, I believe. He did um, the last Iced Earth record. He did the, uh, the Sanctuary album. And then he's, he did our last record and this one. So he's really enjoying kind of really branching out and working with um, bands that aren't so extreme and kind of in that, in that style that you were referencing. Um, and and really, because, you know, when, when he did the last record, as well as this one, um, he's extremely mindful of the elements that are Queensryche. Um, and so, you know, he'll he'll be able to reference something, you know, deep in the catalog and say, uh, you know, hey, remember this or wow, this sounds like that. Um, you know, maybe we can kind of experiment over here and all the while allowing 
each and every one of us in the band to still be who we are and to, um, to evolve, uh, you know? So I think that he, you know, we kind of give him the grant him the authority as the producer to bang the gavel and make decisions when the band might be undecided on, on something. And, um, you know, he really lets the vocals, he, he doesn't really try to stifle if I want to do some crazy high thing or these, these certain vocalizations and characteristics that are, that are, you know, indicative of Queensryche's sound vocally and guitar wise, he's very cognizant of the harmony guitars and, you know, all, all of the elements that go into it. So we, we never once, um, even got a sliver of, of a person that was trying to turn the band into something that it isn't. And, you know, we would tell him, here's our demos and this is heavy here. And this is very soft here and happy and moody and dark and kind of all of the, the full spectrum of, of what the music is that we uh, have shown him. And, uh, and you know, it, it's been a lot of fun, but I don't think that because of his past work that that in any way, um, transferred over into trying to make Queensryche like some heavier something that it really isn't. Although if we wanted to be heavy, he's certainly uh, not someone who would, would shy away from that, but he also respects, you know, the, the stylistic qualities as to not deviate so far that it doesn't sound like Queensryche, you know, right. having those core elements. Um, he's just been great in harnessing and he's super fun to work with. We've become best friends. Um, so it's just like recording with another band member, honestly. Now oh, that's great. Now, uh, the last update that I got was that, uh, you had vocals and guitar solos to finish and then the album was done. Uh, what is sort of the update as of today? Where is the album completely done? Are you still in the, we have some vocals and guitar solos to finish and, yeah. So, okay. so actually, I'm I'm going to be getting some updated mixes this evening. The whole band. Um, I flew out to his place in Massachusetts um, with Eddie, and did another uh, about four songs um, on vocals just to address some things and tighten up some things. And I think there's maybe about two two songs left for me to sing somewhere in there, and then. Um, I know that Michael and Parker have been writing, writing and crafting guitar solos and uh, sending those to, to him. He, I think he may, I'm not sure if he's going to go to Seattle or if maybe they'll do one more trip to his place to kind of finalize those things. But um, out of all the songs, there's only a couple left for me to sing. They're, they're, they're sung in the demo form, but we'll go back and that's where he'll kind of more produce me and go over all the nuances and you know we might experiment and try some various approaches to something to see if it can be improved if it needs it things like that but uh, the bulk of the record is done um minus you know some guitar solos and still a couple songs on vocals sort of minor or i don't want to say cosmetic things to do but just it's it's the bulk is done. When do you think it gets released? Is this something that we're looking at September, October, or, or is it 2019? What, what's sort of the time frame in terms of getting it out? Well, that's a good question. I know that we were shooting for like a September, October release. Um, and then there was some discussion with the label about them 
potentially or likely wanting uh, some bonus material. So um, there are there's some things that I know Michael's been recording, and if in fact that's the definitive case, then we're still going to shoot for that. But uh, you know, it worst case scenario, and maybe it comes out February or or whatever. But I think that there was some discussion. We've had so many conference calls and meetings, but you know, certainly we will be doing some video shooting this year and uh, start, you know, kind of priming the pump to really uh, start promoting the album prior to the release. So I'm sure that we'll uh, release a, a video. I, I'm thinking prior to the release, uh, you know, don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll throw a video out before the, before the album release and um, put together some kind of teaser collage of some sort and uh and do it that way but you know we're still trying to we're still going over artwork for the album cover and then anything inside and so uh, you know that's that's a whole nother process of just dealing with artwork and concepts and re different mock-up renderings and moving forward with that and so that that's kind of where we're at now is we've seen a tentative album cover concept and actually I'll be having a meeting with the artist tonight to go over some changes that the band, we all talked about and kind of go from there. And, you know, and then it depends on, you know, having vinyl made and what, what are, what's the schedule like of the plants that, that make the records. And, you know, there are other variables that even if we turned in everything right now, you know, when, when do they have availabilities to, actually make the physical products and etc right although so i can't give you a definitive answer it could be it could be late this year worst case it would be very early very early next year and then i assume we would uh, start you know start doing ground touring and that, that kind of thing there you go and, and in terms of bonus material i think the easiest is just record the m3 festival and put it on as a live disc there you go problem <laughs> solved Pro problem yeah, solved right uh, Right. You see, it's so simple. I mean, the the M the M3 what's going to be probably like a seven to nine song set. Let's it'll fit on on one CD as a double disc. But um... yeah, I I think when we play, I'm not sure if we're if we're headlining that night. I think you are actually. If we're right under night rate. I don't remember. No, I believe but, you're. I believe you're um, headlining that night. Okay, then that would be probably like uh, fifteen songs. Yeah. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen songs or something wow. like that. Um, May 15th, 2017, you announced that uh, Scott is going to be taking paternity leave and Casey Grillo yeah. comes in from Camelot. Yeah. Let's, let's tie all of this together with the new album. So you're in the studio with Zeus. Who's playing drums? We know you're a drummer. Did you play drums? Did Casey play drums? Did Scott play drums? Or is there a mystery man? Talk to me about drummers That's and drumming situations. <laughs> That's the $25,000 question everyone keeps asking. Right. And, and so my, my, my short answer is I, I'm not going to tell you right now. <laughs> it's none of your business. No. Some, no. Yeah. Some, well, some people, some people say, well, you know, if Scott played on it, why wouldn't you just say that? Because you're not saying it, you know, maybe he didn't. And then some people have said, well, maybe they're just not saying to create hype around the album and blah, blah, blah. So the only thing I can tell you is that, um, you know, Scott had a baby and he took paternity leave, you know, took time off. And um, 
you know, that was, when was that? April? April well, the, the, the press release was May 5th. The, the press release that I have in front of me, because I, I dug it up, is May 15th, 2017. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I remember that Casey, you know, we called him to, to do like a couple fill-in dates. And then it turned into more time and more time. And it was like, okay, well, um, you know, maybe like a few months. And then it was, well, I, I want to take the rest of the year off. Oh, okay. And then, well, what about January? Well, I don't know yet. And so, you know, the end of the year was approaching and then the beginning of 2018 would be starting and we hadn't gotten any real answer. And so to, you know, to make sure that we could still play our shows and have, you know, Queensryche continue on and, and book things and do what we do, you know, Casey uh, has decided to, to keep filling in. Um, there's no new update that I'm aware of, uh, from Scott. Um, but you know, he, he hasn't quit the band. He hasn't said, you know, I'm, I'm never coming back or yada, yada. All that we know really is he's just enjoying spending time with his son. Who's like a little over one year old now. I think he was born in February. So, you know, I mean, the guy gave, geez, 37, 30, whatever, almost 37 years of his, of his life. Um, to Queensryche and to the fans and whatnot. And he's just, you know, he wants time for himself and his family. So how can you argue a guy wanting to just be a dad, you know, just that. So that's kind of the deal. As far as the album goes, um, you know, we didn't have outside writers and uh, outside hired guns to, to play drums on the record. The band Queensryche wrote and recorded the album. And it's certainly true to form. I think everyone... You know, we'll, we'll, hopefully they'll agree with that when they hear it. We hope they, they like it. You never know when you're creating something and then you put it out, you know, it's kind of not yours anymore once you release it. But, um, I, I wish I could give you a definitive answer, but I'm not going to. <laughs> but <laughs> and, that's fine. Uh, I, know, I'm just going to go with the assumption yeah. that you played drums on it. Cause you were a drummer or still are a drummer. I guess you didn't, you didn't hang up the sticks totally. Um, Okay, so let, let me move on to then your own thing. You have announced that eventually at some point through Rat Pack Records there's going to be a solo album. You have said that it is going to be definitely things that don't fit with Queensryche, your own sort of musical vision, more guttural, more aggressive, more power metal, just just more, more, more. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me yeah. about that album. Where are we with that? Because that also has one of these non-definitive answers. There's... Um, is that still 2018? Is that 2019? Is it full of special guests? It, it, just to lay it so, all on the so, line. Okay, so, yeah. So uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with, the first band I ever joined as a drummer, um, we, he and I have remained lifelong friends. And um, he, his name's Craig Blackwell. He's a great guitarist, um, producer, you know, in, in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Um, and he, he's the guy that's co-writing all the music and doing that with me. It's the two of us. Um, and so I've got, I don't know, maybe 10 to 12 kind of demo things. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that just needs vocals, some stuff, you know, I've got some rough demo vocals, kind of scratch tracks there. And then of course with Queensryche, it's so hard to, um, to just, if I'm home for four days, 
and I've been, you know, playing shows with the guys and then I come home, it's really hard to just get in, in my studio and write and record. It's like, I'm married. I want to spend time with my wife. I got to see my, my mom and my sister, and I'm going to do things around the house. You know, the yard looks out of control and paint needs to be, you know, window trim needs to be repainted. Got to get the dogs out too. Right. So life. It's, it's just life so interferes. Hard to, and be normal. Yeah. So, I mean, the plan or the original plan, gosh, I've been working on this thing. It's been kind of on the side burner for many years. Um, but, you know, as I told, I told Craig, I'm like, look, as soon as this Queensryche record is done, we're going to go full bore when I'm home to, to try and start, you know, getting these things kind of really taken care of and, and moved on. Um, and then also I want to be aware of, of when the album with Queensryche will be released so as to not take any kind of thing away from that, you know? Um, so depending on that release also, uh, that would depend on when I would put my own thing out. Cause I don't want to, well, you don't, don't want to step on the toes. I mean, right. yeah, I don't want to be promoting my thing, you know, uh, parallel to a clean drink release. That would, right. that, I wouldn't like that. So, so I, again, can't give you a definitive answer. I can give you an update as to where that material is. Yes, it will be more thrash, power metal, more aggressive style, um, more riff oriented. Um, and just, you know, not trying to reinvent the wheel, just a, just a rocking metal album that shows another side of my vocal abilities that I don't show in Queensryche. Given, you know, the restrictions of being in Queensryche, they have tours, they're going to open for the Scorpions, they've got their own albums and promotion. When your album does come out, would you like to go out and tour it solo and do a solo tour? Or is it just, no, I just want to get this material out and then right back to Queensryche and... I just... Yeah, I just want to get the material out. I mean, look, if if I was able to play a couple shows, that would be fun. But it's it's not something that I want to turn into any kind of a touring act at all. It's more just releasing more creativity that I have. And you know, my friend Craig, he has other he has other businesses. So you know, to and when I'm touring with Queensrÿche, to be to to just go on the road again with my thing is not something I would ever want to do. I really enjoy being home. So it won't be a touring outfit at all. Okay. So a show or two, but, but no 30 date run through the Northeast or anything like that. That's exactly. Okay. Um, quickly here, uh, Rob Halford, Ronnie yep. James Dio, Bruce Dickinson, and of course, Jeff Tate. These are some of these, vocalists that we all think about and, and we look at them and we go, man, those are the guys. And you came into Queensryche and you replaced one of those guys. So if you can talk to me about the pressure, but then talk to me also about the acceptance of the fans. I mean, I see a lot of bands over the years and so have you where they've changed guitarists or they've changed a the drummer or they changed this and people go, oh, it's fake this, it's scab that. It's But with you, they were like, nope, this is the guy. And, and Queensryche really has had a rebirth. And it's really thanks yeah. to you. I mean, they, the, the fans have just gone crazy. And to me, it's almost an anomaly. You just don't see that. You, usually new members are poo-pooed yeah. and fans love you. So, so talk <laughs> to me about that. Talk to me about the pressure of, of replacing one of the sort of greatest vocalists 
and then the fans embracing you as if you were an original member and you've been there for 30 years. Okay, well, um, I, I, I kind of went through this when I joined the band Crimson Glory. The original vocalist uh, right. who went by the name Midnight, he, he passed away. And it was one of those situations where it's like, well, does the band just stop forever? Or, you know, if there's a worthy, you know, person to come in and fulfill that role, you know, is it okay? Will the fans embrace it? Is, you know, so I kind of went through all of the name calling. I suck. I, this, I, that I've heard it all. I didn't even care about that stuff anymore. You know, I just do the best job that I know how to do and let the music speak for itself. And, you know, some people like Pepsi, some people like Coke, you're not going to please everyone. So the minute you realize that you're already doing good. Um, when I got into Queensryche, sure, you know, Jeff was, has always been regarded as one of the great, uh, you know, extremely unique. Um, in fact, I met Jeff Tate in Barcelona, Spain. He came over to me, shook my hand, and we had about a 15, maybe 20-minute chat. And, you know, one of the things that I expressed to him was, hey, you know, I know that people try to pin us against each other. And for what it's worth, you've done it all. I don't, you you know, some, I don't think you have anything to prove. And, you know, I said, look, okay, I can, I can hit because we play in standard tuning. And that was always like a big issue with the band and some of the fans was not tuning down and we don't tune down. And I know that they were tuning down uh, to maybe even a whole step at some times, but I said to him, honestly, you know, you have something that I don't have. And in my opinion, you created a sound and style of singing and no one can ever deny that. And, you know, I meant it sincerely and respectfully. Um, and he was, he was, uh, you know, very kind when we, when we talked, you know, he's cordial, it's nothing weird. Um, but when I got into the band, I knew that there was going to be these comparisons. Oh, you know, I'm in my, well, I'll be 45. I'm 44 now, you know, and I would be compared to records that he did when he was in his twenties and or thirties. And, and then there's the live performance and I would go back and, and listen to songs and to see like, well, the level of expectation. Well, what did he do live when he was 35 years old? And here I am, you know, in my forties and, you know, it, it was, it was never just like the record there's, there's live. And then there's the record. And, um, you know, you get, you age and maybe you're not singing all the high screams as much anymore. Cause maybe you're not interested in it or your voice changes over time. And that's natural. And if you can find a good suitable harmony note that complements the original one, well, there you go for the alternative. And the people really, I think are a little more forgiving than, one might expect. Um, and I, you know, again, it's Jeff Tate, like whatever, you know, the guys, the guy's been there and done that. But for me, you know, there's, there's that bullseye on you. And I just always approached it with the best job that I could do. I'm not him, but certainly I do have, you know, the, the, the register and, um, those stylistic qualities that are able to, 
I think represents that music fairly well. Um, I would never claim to be the greatest and the best. There's always somebody else, you know. Um, but after a while, you know, yeah, there's a there seemed to be a split with the fan base, and well, I, I'm going to stick with this side. I'm stick with that side, and people are very passionate and emotional about some of these kinds of things. Um, so some people are purists and they're not going to accept me no matter what. Then you have other people that say, wow, you know, I haven't heard this song like that in 20 years. And this sounds amazing. And some people said, wow, if you close your eyes, I swear you would think that it was Jeff Tate on stage from 1987. And those are compliments to me. You know, I, I, I really embrace those. But at the end of the day, Mitch, I just try to be a good person because that really far outweighs talent sometimes. If you're tired and you're having a rough night and people like you, they're going to still champion you and know that you gave it your all. And that's what I try to do is not let them down, not let my bandmates down. I'm far more critical of myself, you know, than most people. Um, and you know, going on on six years now in the band and three albums, it's it appears that the majority of the of the Queensrÿche fan base um, has accepted me in the band and has embraced what we're doing. Um, and you know, creatively, we're we're on the same page. I mean, you can hear a big difference between the records that I've been able to do with the band and the records that were before me for the last decade at least you know there's there's definitely kind of a heavier element yep. and not not uh you know it doesn't sound like some of those last records that uh you know i certainly always remembered queensrike as a melodic hard rock slash metal band and i didn't want that to to go away and i you know wanted to certainly bring my ideas and my feelings back to this to the music that i love and you know, I was a fan of Queensryche too, so I really came at it with a different perspective because I was a fan. And it's like, well, what are the elements as a fan that I would like to hear? And I would express these things to the guys, and 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 certainly they're they're free to create and do whatever they want. And uh, you know, there's no like, it's a democracy in the band. We all talk about ideas and you know, and that kind of thing. So it's been an amazing experience. Um, it's, it's humbling. Um, but I, I know that I'm not the original guy and I'm just trying to represent the old music and create killer new music so that this band will just keep carrying on. And that's yeah. really how I view it. Yeah. And, and, and I know you mentioned purists, but you know, you look at like the band Kiss, there are the Ace Fraley and Peter Chris purists. And if it, they're not there, it's not really Kiss, but but with you and yeah. with Queensryche, you don't hear that. Most people, in fact, pretty much everybody I've ever seen, even online and on Facebook and on Twitter, they're like, "Yeah, man, Todd, Todd is it." And and I'm of the I'm of the mind that as a fan, I win because when Jeff comes to town, he does his thing, his show, sometimes acoustic, sometimes not, and storytelling, and and yep. then you guys sure. come in. And then you kick me right between the teeth with 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 the old school, and I'm like, dude, I win. I get double Queensrÿche songs coming to town performed entirely differently. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. As a fan, we win. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. No, it's a 
that's certainly a, a perspective that I've I've seen before of, um, expressed that hey we get you know two two things now instead of one so yeah, no, if great. that makes somebody people happy then that's great. No, it really is. It really is great. And and we'll just finish on this and I'll go back to sort of the studio and the old stuff. Vocally, though, sure. when you get into the studio to make an album, to make Queensryche, to make Condition Human, how mindful are you of what came before you and say, OK, I need to have it. It, it has to have a certain stylistic element. And how more, how mindful are you of like, well, I also just need to be taught. I can't just go. Uh, talk to me about that. And also in the live setting, when you're doing the old songs like Empire and like Queen of the Reich and all that stuff, how much is I need to sound like the record and I need to sound like Queen's Reich and how much is I need to be taught and I can't worry about everything else? Um, there's a balance. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely, it, it's, it's a headspace that you get into like, okay, I'm going to, I'll make, I'll make a joke. Okay. Like, <laughs> If you ever try to talk or see somebody talk like Tony Montana from Scarface, right? It's right. like you can't you can't do that accent without making the face. You know what I mean? You know the face I'm talking right. about, where your right. your kind of your mouth drops in a certain way, and it's kind of that thing. Well, when you hear, you know, the Queens like music, and it's like, well, you're you're just gonna approach it in the Queensryche style, even if a hundred percent of that isn't, isn't like Todd, you know, a lot of my natural stylistic qualities are that way. They're, they're really a lot of my writing. And in fact, when we write new stuff, I'll hear many times from the band and the producer, like, wow, that sounds really like Bruce Dickinson. And we'll have to like talk about it, and I'll be like, "Well, that's that's how I sing, you know, like talk, like my just the anatomy of my my makeup. There are certain things that I say, or maybe it's just because I grew up on Queensrÿche and Iron Maiden, for example, and Dio, that or even Halford. You know, those are that's like my staple of of kind of the metal influences. That that's just gonna come out." It's the way that I phrase something, the way that I'm creating something. But when I go into the studio and I'm recording vocals and I have what I want to sing, um, you know, there are, I'll, I'll listen to something and I'll say, you know, it needs more, it needs a more emotional delivery. And then I'll, I'll go into those characteristics of the cries, the little, you know, the way you say, a, the way you say a certain word which is very Queensryche sounding. You know, if you want to say Jeff Tate sounding, you can say that. I don't care. But it's very, there's just a certain way that you say things. And so there is an element that is mindful of those things. And then there certainly is the other element where I'll say to the, you know, well, I'll say, hey, I know it sounds like Bruce Dickinson kind of here, but, you know, that's just how I sing it. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. It's, it's, so they don't tell me, sing it exactly how you think Jeff Tate would sing it. They don't do that. Well, of you course. know, of um, we, we probably maybe played it a little safe on the first record. It's like people are hearing me for the first time and you don't want to like stray so far. There's always that little bit of an element, just like Arnell with Journey. You know, he's right. gonna, he's got a sound 
in that, you know, that way, but also be yourself at the same time. So it was a great question you asked me. And the truth is you're mindful of both. Um, and, and there are times where I say, but you know, that's me. And, and they really allow me to be myself. And honestly, I do a lot of those phrasings and things that just happen to sound that way, like Queensryche and, and I don't have, you know, I don't really have to have anybody say, we'll try to make it sound more like this. I, I know what the music is and I know what it sounds like. And I know when there's a, an element of the song where I can go into something really high and gritty. And then I say, oh, you know, but the classic Queens, right? This would have been really clean with this, you know, and I'll try and approach something more clean, um, like the classic Queens, right? Sound. So it's kind of like, I don't want to say I'm all over the map, but I'm, I, I dip into many things that, that my voice can do. And as long as it doesn't detract from the song, the music sounds like Queensryche. And then I'll do, maybe I'll do like a, a, a verse that's more aggressive that you wouldn't really hear Jeff do. But then here comes the melodic chorus. And then here comes the clean operatic style vocal and all the little nuances that are involved in making that sound be the way that it is of course and uh todd just a great pleasure and i, and I do look forward to seeing you at the m3 festival and been a long yeah, time definitely oh yeah i've been a long it's time definitely i look forward to seeing you yeah and i you know i i had heard that you were wanting to get an interview with us and for some reason some connections weren't met and i said yeah, absolutely. I know Mitch. I remember hanging out. I think it was in an arena in Montreal. Yeah, it was in an arena at, on the yeah on the, the Scorpions tour. You came in. You came into our dressing room yep, at the Bell Center. And um, so I totally, you know, uh, I'm glad that we were able to talk and to catch up and yep. uh, and do this interview. And I certainly look forward to seeing you in person at the M3 show. So if you see me. Come, say hello. you know, yeah. hunt yeah. me down and, and say hi, and we'll we'll hang out for a bit. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. Welcome back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. A big, big thank you to Todd Latore. Do check out the M3 Festival, and of course, uh, patiently wait for the new Queensryche album. I am sure it will be fantastic, like everything they've done in the past. And uh, now... The moment that you have been waiting for, former Kiss guitarist Vinnie Vincent. I had a chance to sit down with him for an hour and a half. I was expecting 20 minutes, and it just kept going and going and going. And so thank you to Vinnie for that. Thank you to Randy, who set it up. And uh, Bill, welcome back from a firehouse. Uh, good day, sir, again. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on the show again, brother. Yeah, so... so we talked M3, we talked Queensryche, we know, and you've, you've, have, you've been on a cruise with Todd, you know that he's absolutely fantastic, fantastic guy, but Vinnie Vincent, talk to me about Vinnie Vincent as a guitarist, how do you sort of, you know, when he came out with Lick It Up and Creatures of the Night, did that speak to you as a guitarist? Because, you, 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 you know, you can't deny that he is a skilled master on the instrument. Oh, it sure spoke to me. I mean, with, with the Lick It Up album, you know, I was in a cover band at the time called White Heat with Michael Foster, still playing with Michael, and, and we covered 
a bunch of songs off that album. We did Lick It Up. We did Heaven's on Fire. We did, uh, I'm sure, a bunch more. Um, and so I thought the songwriting on that record was great. And then, you know, we got together Firehouse, um, and we were looking to get a record deal. We got an independent deal before we got signed to Epic, and we were looking for a producer. And we loved the sound of that first Vinnie Vincent Invasion record. And, um, you know, Dana Strum produced it. And um, Vinnie Vincent Invasion came to a club in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we were living at the time, and we gave Dana a tape and Dana called us back and said, Hey, uh, I want to produce, I want to produce this. So that was because of that Vinnie record. Now, you know, when I first heard boys are going to rock, which was the opening track on that album and saw the video, I, I was like, I can't believe how good this guy plays. Um, and the songwriting on that record, I thought was incredible. So yeah, I, I have high esteem for, for Vinnie. Yeah. Mean, he's, he's huge, huge, Huge regards to Vinny. You know, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's a badass. And just completely and utterly original. I mean, he, he really, he, he gets it, you know. And and by the way, I like the story about Dana because it's, it's very rare. You know, you go to clubs and, you know, as a band or as a rock reporter, somebody always hands you something. I was at Sword the other day and some guy came up and gave me a CD and said, please check it out. And of course I will. But very little does it ever lead to anything, and 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 that goes that that speaks to Dana. I mean, he takes the stuff seriously, you know, and and he listened, and he. What did he do afterwards with it, though? I mean, after he got it and he called you back, how, how, what was sort of the next step? Did he get you in a studio? Did he offer advice like you need to fix this and fix that, or sing it higher? Did, like what what was sort of the next step? Dana in that? did a, an incredible job as a producer. He and Mark both. Uh, you know, we lived. For, for the whole time we were out in Los Angeles, we slept in, in Dana's apartment and um, on the floor, you know, and, uh, but, but Dana was such a creative guy and was so entertaining and motivating and inspiring and intelligent and such a, so good in the studio, but he had organized the whole thing, got us all, you know, how, where we were, when we were going to leave Charlotte, how we were going to fly and get there, how we were going to get from the airport to the, you know, to the apartment, how we were going to get back and forth to the studio. He had it all organized and all ready to go, had the studio time worked out, had the engineer there worked out and, and, and mixed it and everything. And then that turned into a demo because we got, we used that as, um, we were going to put it out if we couldn't get a record deal uh, with a major label, but we got one with a major label. So, um, but he just did a fantastic job. No, that's good. That's great to hear. So, you know, I know folks would love to hear us chat more for, for, for hours and hours, but I think there are some there that are impatient. They want to get to Vinny. I, I fooled them by putting uh, Todd on first. So uh, we will get over to Vinny, but not before reminding them that Bill has two new songs out, Memorable and Love is Like a Song, available at Leverty.com. I do encourage folks to check that out. And uh, here we are. Let's check out the one, the only, guitarist extraordinaire. And yes, he did save Kiss, Vinnie Vincent. Okay, Mitch, I got Vinnie Vincent on the other line. Vinnie, this is Mitch with Westwood One. Hey, pleasure Hi, to speak. Hi, Mitch. Hey, Vinnie. How, How are you? Good. I'm very, very hey. good. And I have to say, very excited to uh, to speak with you. You know, I uh, I had a chance to see your Creatures of the Night tour. I had a chance to see the Lick It Up tour. Uh, fantastic stuff. Great memories for me. So, So thank you for that. Wow, I'm honored. I'm truly honored. Thank you uh, very, very much. It's it's great to be with you. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, great to be back. Yeah, so let's let's. And let me... I'm all yours. Anything, uh, anything you want to ask? It's 
it'll be fun. It'll fun be fun interview and. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, we really go back here, right? Yeah, we 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 go back for. I mean, listen, some, to, uh, some great times, great great times. So so let me talk, and I and I want to keep everything positive. So just just to 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 let you know, I I want to keep stuff on the up and up and positive, and because it is it is great to see you come back. You know, after what was it, twenty two years roughly. So so let me start with that. When when you made the decision to come back after all these years, talk to me about that and sort of what spurned it on and what got you going and where did that where did you get that epiphany and said okay it's time it, it's it's i gotta go see the fans you want the epiphany moment I, i'm not sure what the epiphany moment was but i had no intention of coming back because you know I've, i i crank you know i've got my ink my amps here and you know, I'm able to, to crank it up and I'm able to do what I want to play. You know, I'm basically my love is my guitar. So, um, you know, I was convinced that, you know, there's nobody that wants to see me. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't matter, you know, I mean, there's other things going on in life and nobody cares anymore about any of this. And, um, I really just, you know, it was just myself, my guitar, uh, my dogs, and uh, I'm fine. You know, I've got uh, my demo stuff, so I'm, and I'm able to be here and, you know, uh, you know, I'm self-sufficient in in writing songs, and, uh, uh, you know, once once the the horror in my personal life was over, you know, I was able to just have peace and and. I said, I'm, I'm good. I mean, all this is good now, you know, and, uh, you know, it was just, oh, it was myself, my guitar. It was like the way it had always been before, you know, when, when, you know, before the war, they say, you know, so it was like, Hey, this is how I felt before the war. I'm, I'm, that's when everything was innocent and good and all that stuff. And it was just my, myself, my, my guitar and, you know, I'm happy. And and you're happy. So, So, well, yeah. I was gonna—I was just gonna ask you then, but 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 the 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 fan reaction to you coming back must have been overwhelming. I mean, you came back and you thought, okay, people are gonna show up and they're gonna say, hey, Vinny's nice to see you, but there really has been an outpouring of love and an outpouring of, oh my God, here he is. Um, was it more than you expected? Was it about what you expected? Are, are you sort of overwhelmed by all the positive vibe and positive reviews and and just positive I didn't expect words? anything. Yeah, okay. no, I'm. I'm completely overwhelmed. I mean, when I mean overwhelmed, I'm, you know, there's whelmed and then there's overwhelmed, you know? So I'm, I really wasn't sure, you know, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, you know, there's somebody else here that's coming and that's, you know, maybe this is who you're expecting. Maybe it's certainly not me, but, uh, I was, I was shocked, you know, and I, I had, had gotten, uh, this promoter had, had been contacting a friend of mine, um, over, you know, almost a year period. And I, and I said, you know, this is absurd. There's, there's nobody, I don't know why he would want to have an expo with me at it because no one's going to come. you know. And he says, he's really persistent. And, and he was, he just kept it going and going and going. And I think one day he just wrote me a really nice letter and, uh, you know, which my, my, my friend, my, my attorney and my friend had forwarded it to me. And I, and I said, oh, well, maybe we should just talk to him and see how it goes. You know, I said, but you know, uh, there's 
really, you know, I'm not sure if there's any anybody left. I don't think he's really going to get anybody to come, you know. So he said, uh, he convinced me otherwise, and I said, well, look, I, I don't know. I'm comfortable with myself now, and I think that had a lot to do with it, you know. I, I, I walked through the fire, you know, I really did, and... And, you know, it's unfathomable, you know, in the beginning. And then, you know, to come back through the other side and, you know, you're not disfigured, you know, maybe, maybe your soul is, is disfigured. Maybe, maybe that's where, you know, it, it changed you, but, you know, I'm, I'm above ground. I'm happy. I'm at peace. You know, the things that were, um, hurt, you know, the things that had caused me so much pain, you know, are, are no longer there. So, uh, a lot of the things had been worked out a lot of, you know, you know, the, the period of time where there was so much conflict, it resolved itself. So I felt, you know, well, it's okay. Now everything's okay. Uh, meaning that, you know, to come through it, to do it, to come through it, to be all right with yourself on the other end of it says, well, you know, I can sit down and talk to anybody about whatever happened. You know, they don't know, but I just, I know what happened to me, <clears throat> to me and I'm okay talking about it. You know, I value my privacy and I, I like, I like the fact that you know, I have peace and in, in, in a lot of privacy and a lot of quiet in my life, except for, you know, um, I mean, the noise that I make, the noise in my life is the noise that I choose to make. You know, I'll turn my amps up. I'll do what I want to do. I'm fine. Wherever, wherever I am, I'm able to do it. But, you know, that's as far as I thought it would go. So when the promoter said, you want to appear at this thing, I said, look, all right. You know, after eight months, I said, all right, okay. But I said, I don't think anyone's coming, but all right. And this is the Q&A, and I said, fine, all right. You know, I'm good with it now. You want to know? I'm okay with talking about it. And, you know, which was kind of strange for me because I'm so private. But I thought, you know, it's it's okay. What, what the hell? I mean, at this point, you know, the, 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 the gossip, the rumors, the innuendos, the accusations, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's 10 miles long. So I figured, well, you might as well hear it from me. If you're going to be out there saying this stuff, you might as well hear it from me then at least hear, at least hear the truth, you know, because, because you're making up Everything I'm hearing sounds pretty made up, and I mean they're fantastic stories, but nobody has it right, you know. They they think they know, but they don't really know anything. So I don't mind, no problem. So when it came down to it, and you know I I was there, and uh, he said everything's sold out, and I said, what does that mean? He said it's sold out. <laughs> so he says you'll see. And then when I got there, I think a friend of mine had said, hey, the lines are, you know. They're, they're like a block long, you know, and I really was, I was just shocked, you know, I, I, it didn't seem, it seems surreal to be honest with you. And it, and it still seems surreal because that's how it's been ever since. And this was like almost four months ago, 
So I'm, I'm, I'm still overwhelmed in every sense of the word. I opened, you know, somebody said to me, you need a Facebook. And I said, well, what is that? You know? And they said, well, it's this, it's this. I said, well, what, I don't understand. What is it? You know? And they explained it to me. Well, you need a Facebook. So uh, somebody opened a Facebook for me and said, well, this these are your buttons and you know, you'll have, uh, you know, your fans will come here where you can interact with them. I said, all right, that sounds like fun. So, you know, a couple of months later, we're just at almost at the 10,000 mark, you know, and I really try to spend time and talk with everybody and it's, I'm having a blast. I'm truly having a great time. So I've got new music. I've got old music. I've got stuff people have never heard. I've got stuff that was never released or, you know, I mean, it goes on and on. So it's my way to, you know, talk with everyone now. And, uh, I just, you know, I'm at peace in talking about things. I've got a book, uh, a book coming out, a real tell all book of everything that really happened. Um, you know, I'm, the Vinnie Vincent double V model guitar is going to be resurrected and it's going to be at the, the NAMM shows. So, I mean, all of this is happening so quickly now, but, you know, the thing that makes it work are the fans that cared so much and they're, you know, they're still there, which is the thing that actually is, is you know, it moves, moves mountains. You know, these people, the love is so powerful and, and, it, and it's so moving and I'm so grateful, you know? Yeah. It really is. So you, you talked about before the war. So so let me get to you just before the KISS days. Here you are in Los Angeles. You're you're on the treasure record. You're doing stuff with Felix Cavalier. You're doing stuff with Carmen Apice. You're, you're on Happy Days. Joni loves Chachi, writing music. Um, talk to me about those early days and, and what was the goal? Because as a guy, and you just said you really enjoy your privacy, that seemed like the perfect gig. You're behind the scenes. You're getting your music out there. Fans are getting to hear it. They don't necessarily know it's you. Talk to me about those days and those early days before you got to Kiss. What was it like? What What were you trying to accomplish? Were you, were you trying to start up your own band? Did you just want to be? I just want to be the songwriter and guitar guy. I'm. I'm. Talk to me about those early days. Oh, they were they were beautiful. They yeah. were. Uh... They were the perfection days when, you know, the, the, it was when the sun was warm and, you know, the sky was cerulean blue and the grass smelled, you know, freshly cut, that summer smell. That's the, the essence of how beautiful those times were. I mean, if you could put it in a, in a visual sensory capsule and smell it and look at it, to me, that's, that's the, the you know, what those days were. And those were like the early to mid seventies. And, you know, I covered, I covered the whole, the whole, you know, the whole gamut from early seventies was, uh, you know, my blues breakers, uh, Jeff Beck truth, blues breaker, blues breakers period, you know, and, uh, my, my baby was my, uh, you know, it was my 59 Les Paul sunburst, you know, and I had gotten that from Gary Richrath from Aria Speedwagon. So, um, this was in 1971. That was that period of time that I was talking about. I had a band called Hunter 
I wrote, you know, it was like a, you know, like a Zeppelinish kind of band, and I wrote the songs. I had a singer, and it was all styled after that. But we were we were from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and there was a studio in town called Bridgeport Recording Studio. It was run by a guy named Paul Lecca, who wrote hit after hit after hit, AM hits, which is, you know, you got to be really, really gifted to write AM hits. And, uh, I mean, he was, he was just a, he was a genius. The man, the man was just, just, he had that touch. He knew how to make hit records and somewhere, you know, the early years were turning from 71, 72, 73, 70, by 75, I finally said, you know, I kept knocking on that door and I kept saying, Paul, you know, my name is Vinny Cassano and, uh, you know, I'm, I play guitar and, I, I'm live in town. I think you, you know, I'd be good for you. And he started using me for sessions that he was producing and he'd bring me in for other sessions for other people. And he said, I've got a band called, you know, the five satins. You know? <laughs> I see you mean that, that band from the fifties with, uh, in the still of the night. They're, yeah, they're redoing that. They're doing an album. I've got a producer here. Uh, you want to play guitar on it? I said, yes, 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 yes. So that's how it was. And then he said, I've got this other R&B band. They're called the Hitchhikers. And they're from, I don't know, Philly or something. And it was all that, that, that R&B black stuff. And, you know, and he said, you know, you're going to be perfect for them. You want to play on that record? I said, yeah, well, great. So, you know, I come in, they look at this white boy. And uh, I remember... You know, it, it's, you know, it, that's how it is. I mean, that's it, just, you know, they've got their thing and, you know, an intruder comes in, but they, you know, everything was like, you want to play on this track? Yeah, I'll play on this track. And then all of a sudden everything was okay because music is, you know, the universal language and, you know, when it works, it works. So I'm in the recording, uh, I'm in the recording booth or actually, you know, the studio itself and, I spent a long time with these guys, with the producer and everything. And this is 1975. And uh, we're all sitting there. And I said, uh, I was just listening. Producer said, we're we're short one song for the record. Does anybody have a song here that would work? So I said, I have a song. I said, not sure you would like it, but I've got a song. And he says, well, what is it? I says, it's a song I wrote for for my mom. You know, and uh, <laughs> we were kind of like looking at each other. Huh, huh. Well, what is, how does it go? I mean, we'll play, play us a little bit. So I played, uh, you know, a verse and a chorus, and uh, it's called This Song's For You, Mama. And uh, and he said, oh, that's it. That's our song. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I have a song on a record, you know, and of all things, it was something that was meaningful for me that I wrote for my for my mom. So, uh, you know, it was a ballad, obviously. And the next thing I know, I hear, you know, I hear, you know, an orchestra was brought in. And I mean, this this was my first time, you know, of actually going from knocking on doors to something much bigger happening. Um, Anyway, the record came out. And the next thing I know, he says, uh, Paul said, Hey, you know, Felix Cavalier from the Rascals is coming up there. Basically that did it. I mean, I, uh, 
you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm like panicking, you know, and it was like, Felix, oh my God, you know, I mean, this was my, this was my hero as, you know, as a teen, teenager, you know, and, you know, the rascals, the rascals, I mean, come on. Oh, not Felix. I mean, this was way too big for me. So he was producing, uh, someone from blood, sweat and tears. And I think it was Fred, Fred Lipsius. He was, um, sax player, horn player from blood, from the original blood, sweat and tears. Now I'm on this record. And then Felix, uh, and I actually formed a friendship and this was 1975. And he said, I want to start a band and, uh, like, you know, a guitar band and, uh, would you be interested? And I'm, you know, these things were happening and I'm just not believing it, you know? And it was, uh, you know, it was just, it wasn't the money because there really was no money, but it was, it was the, the watching, you know, my dreams come true really, you know, because I mean, you don't dream this stuff. You, you, you know, maybe at some point, but that's, that was the genesis of, of how it all began. But, uh, the one thing that that was amazing is once once a friendship began, there was a drummer that he had, uh, Felix had been working with named Jack Scarangella. So it was basically the, the nucleus of the band was Felix, myself, and Jack. And, uh, Rick Laird. He, Felix had uh, a deal with, um, Epic records and they said, let's cut a record, you know, let's, let's cut a record. And, you know, this was my, this was my first time of, you know, of being there and seeing, you know, my craft grow. So, you know, I had my Strat, my Marshall, my, you know, my, my Les Paul and, you know, that was it. My sunburst. And, uh, we just, we just had a great, great connection, a great magic together. It, it lasted one album, but it was the, really the happiest memories I, I have, uh, just, just overall because, you know, I got to play with one of my heroes, and in 1978, uh, he said to me, and and we we still had the band at this point. Uh, we had the band for about two years, two or three years, from 76 to 78. So 76, 77, 78, and he said, Laura Nero is uh, he's producing the Laura Nero, and, I, and that was it. That for me, that was it. Laura had been everything for me all of my life. And, uh, she had she didn't live far away. I mean, she was, uh, you know, she had been at his house all the time and he said, uh, I'm having Laura over, you know, would you like to come over? And, uh, so, you know, I, I, I said, yes, but you know, I stood in the corner and I was just watching her because she, it was too big for me, you know, and you know, it was hi Vinny. Nice to meet you. I said, okay. Yeah. So this was, this was way too big for me. So I'm, you know, I'm just taking this in and thinking, nah, this isn't really happening for me. So Felix had the most wonderful Christmases because he would invite everybody over. We'd be playing, uh, you know, songs in, you know, in the living room there, you know, everybody's got instruments and, uh, you know, it'd be a lot of people over. And so 
Laura would sit down and, you know, be playing. We'd go through her songs, and Felix would be sitting down at the keys, and we'd be going through Felix's song. So it, it was, there were times that, that I couldn't really uh, believe ever happened to me at that period of time where it was so, so overwhelming. I mean, talk about overwhelming. This stuff was like giants, you know, and I'm, in a room of giants that to me, they were, you know, and they're still giants to this day. And to this day, Felix is really close with my, with my family, my immediate family, my sisters and my mom. And so it's really amazing, you know, how things have worked out. But, uh, Dan Hartman came along after that. Right. And seven. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say at that time, because listening to you talk, you sound like you're in a great place. You seem very happy. You're working with heroes. You're working with, with people that you look up to. Were you sort of content at that point? Like, this is enough. I, I'm I'm good doing this. Or were you at that time always thinking of, okay, this is a nice springboard, but I'm going to work this craft. I'm going to work this. And I'm going to, I mean, were you thinking about being Vinnie Vincent, the artist and having the band and being... Or were you like, no, hey, I'm. This is great doing this. I'm. I'm content being. I, I was hungry. I okay. was. A, I was a lion. I was a lion. Uh, you know, I wanted to conquer it. You know, and I was still looking to find myself. But uh, I knew what I wanted, and it. You know, it wasn't like I was conscious to say I'm going to take over and I want to be this and that, be that. But it was I want to be good. I want to be. You know, all that matters is my my playing. You know, I want to reach a place where, um, you know, I can say I've reached that level, you know, of my craft. And, you know, I was always writing, you know, because, you know, just to be a guitar player, you know, you had to have your 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 songs to go with your, your playing. Otherwise, you're just a player and you're looking for... You know, you're just going to be joining groups to be, you know, a player. You know, I was looking for the, you know, like what Jimmy Page had done, which was, you know, Led Zeppelin. You know, he wrote and he was the player, you know, but that's I was looking to hope I was hoping that I can achieve something like that. So these were these were great. You know, these were special times. They they had their own meaning. But where what I was looking for was that that Vinnie Vincent invasion moment that wasn't, you know, it wasn't ready. You know, I was still, still honing my craft down, but you know, the eventuality did come, you know, at, at, at one point, but you know, that's what I was working towards. If that's what you mean. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, and so I want to ask you this, cause I was, I was talking to John Waite the other day. And we were talking, we ended up talking mm-hmm. about you, about his No Breaks album. And and he was telling me that you are just a, you know, a fantastic songwriter. And, and what you did on that No Breaks album with Tears was just this wonderful song. And he loved anyway. So so he passes on his good wishes to you. But let me ask you about. Oh, fantastic. I, I think I think the world of him, he's got a he's got a, a, a fabulous voice oh, and I'd love to get together with him. So. Please put it, please uh, relay that message uh, to John from me. 
I was just going to say I can Sorry, email I I can email him when we're done today and I'll and I'll I'll pass I'll pass that along so just to let you know but but I I, I want to fantastic I'm honored he would say such a nice thing yeah and I but promise you I will do that but but I want to know about the craft because you look at the songs you have written whether it's tears whether it's I love it loud whether it's you know where did you learn the craft? I mean, was it was it hit and miss, a lot of experimentation? Is it just a natural gift? Did you did you do you have a songwriting hero that you said, man, I need to write like that guy or that girl? Like, where did you learn the craft? Because you know, over the years, people have said all kinds of stuff about Vinnie Vincent, but the one thing that keeps coming over and over and over again is, dude can write a song. So, so where did you write? <laughs> wow, what an honor to hear. But it's true. Wow. But it's true. I mean, you, you. Well, I mean, I don't know if you're if you're if you're humble or or what. But I mean, come on. You know, you can write a good song. I mean, right? <laughs> right. You're. Right? <laughs> well, sometimes I hope. I, sometimes I hope so. But where did, um, where did the craft come but, from? You know, was it something um, that was natural, or did you work on it for years? Did you did you did you did you have a hero that you mimicked? Sort of. Where did you learn it? <laughs> well, you know, I wrote this song called Yesterday, and I. I, I got around, and the next thing I knew, I hear the Beatles are recording this. So. Right, so, um, right. That was a joke, man. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but, 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 but talk to um, me about this, because you, you wrote, uh, you know, you wrote the, that Mama song for, for Treasure, you, or not, not the Mama, for, um, uh, not Treasure. The Hitchhikers. The Hitchhikers. The Hitchhikers. The treasure <laughs> was, It's yeah. almost like, you know, this has become like almost a cult thing in itself. So uh, it, uh, it began when... It began in the 50s, and, and I, I remember how fascinated I was. I always had good – one thing I remember was I had, I had good ears. You know, they were uh, – they could hear things, you know, and I, I'd, I could memorize. I, I, I would just musically hear things and, and just – like I had just taken up the guitar when I was – I don't know, I don't know, 10, 10 years old and I'd learn a few chords and I would hear something and, you know, whatever knowledge I, I, I had begun to learn, I was able to, you know, I could hear something once and play it back. So, I mean, I had ears that heard, heard things, heard music at a young age, but where it began for me was, um, in 1956, my mom and my dad had, um, my dad played, uh, Fender steel guitar and they had a country band, country, country Western band. And it was in those days, it was like the real country stuff. So they'd have musicians over twice a week to practice. They'd play out. My mom sang and, and, uh, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep. I had to stay up and watch, you know, watch and listen and watch and listen. They, they would record themselves on the tape deck that was there. And they had, you know, re- really real players. And I, you know, I was hooked. I was hooked. And, and it was, it was the guitar ever since. But I, I was always attracted to songs. And, you know, I was a radio kid. So the radio, the radio, the radio, the radio, the radio. And then, you know, the, those years, they just passed, but it was always the radio. I knew every song that was on the radio. So uh, it, I, it, I loved songs, you know. So I had a, a, a strange combination of loving the guitar, but loving songs, you know. And 
I used to be so fascinated, like on how somebody could write that song. You know, how did you write that or whatever? I mean, you know, there was I mean, for everybody from Doris Day, you know, to you know, all those beautiful lush chord arrangements, and that's what really killed me. To you know, AM radio, which was you know your your hit parade, you know, and it was they were just all there was there was beauty in those songs, you know. There was you know the usual throwaways, but there was a lot of beauty in those songs and the chord patterns and, you know, the lyrics and Johnny Mercer, Frank Sinatra, you know, these, these were, these people were, you know, there were songs there and we had all kinds of songs always playing in my house and, you know, everything from, from Frank to country and Western stuff. And so it was the songs that were always playing and it never left until, uh, you know, all of a sudden the Beatles came and the world changed. So, you know, we lived in a three, three family, three story house, you know, three family. So uh, the, the street I lived on in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where, you know, was that Archie Bunker kind of a street where all the houses, essentially two and three family houses, you know, were right next to each other. And, you know, my grandfather lived on the second floor. We lived on the first, and my aunt lived on the third floor. So, you know, they their peace was shattered when, you know, I'd bring my Beatle records home, you know, 1964, and that was it. So, uh, you know, I'm sure all of our lives change. You know, people people that that experienced that era had their entire lives completely altered. Right. When it happened, I mean, if you speak to any musicians, any artists, they they know exactly how their lives changed. So that was it. And the hair got longer. <laughs> My father got angrier, you know, and, you know, then all of a sudden I knew what I wanted to do. This was it. There's nothing going to change what I want to do now. And all of a sudden there was an image that went with it. And it was a, a whole persona that went with it. And it wasn't just a, Hey, I really love the guitar. What do I do with this? Or I really love this song. And I think I can write a song because I'm in love with somebody and I want to write her a song. Now, now you were, you knew what it all looked like and you were able to put it together. And that's, that's kind of how it all began. But you know, I, I always loved songs and, and I loved lyrics. And I thought lyrics were so so important because, you know, you can tell someone, you know, I love you in a song, in a love song, which you would say, well, no, you can't say that. But yes, you can. If, if all of the other lyrics say something, you know, in a, in a way that captures your imagination and then to release it with, you know, something that says, I love you. Or whatever, but you know, and then there's other ways that say them, say the lyrics, you know, in in a much more, you know, uh, I don't want to say intellectual way, but a way that has the use of the English language because it is, it is so beautiful. The language has so many ways to say something, and uh, you know, I, I have poets that I love that that, that speaks to me in, in, in words that I, I, you know, I think how, how was someone able to, you know, use a phrase like that? 
to describe something. So I, I just think it's all just, you know, the pieces just come, you know, and you grab a piece here and a piece there, and then you, then you start to look at other real lyricists. And I remember I used to love Bernie Taupin's lyrics, you know, uh, you know, Lennon and McCartney's lyrics were so simple yet so all-consuming, all-encompassing. And everything had had its way of of telling you that story. You know, country music has there. It's all very, very storytelling in in its in its songs. You know, and and that's it. It just all affects me. So I think it's a combination of my of the things that I love that it all lives inside of me, you know, and I guess it's over, over the years, it's just was able to put itself together. You know, Laura Nero, as I was saying, I mean, this was one of the greatest artists, writers, singers ever, ever. So it's, it's pretty much that, you know, it's, it's just playing, playing as much as you can and writing as much as you can and watching your life change. I think it's all about your life also, because it's not just the writing. Once you get, once, once your experiences start to grow, you know, your, your maturity level changes and, you know, you're able to say things in, in ways that you never thought you could say them. So, you know, here it is now, here you it know, is and now. I'm watching the songs behind me and thinking, uh, Oh, I remember, I remember how that was written. And who, what was involved in, at that time. And, you know, all the memories that are connected to it are, are fabulous. It's a fantastic journey, you know, yeah. it, to look back and see the memories that are attached to the songs. And I think that's also why, as fans, we, we have these songs that they don't represent songs. They represent moments. You know, we, we look back and we go, I know where I heard I Love It Loud the first time. I know where I heard Wanted Dead or Alive the first time. I You know, it songs are, are are songs are memory sticks if you if you know what i mean they 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 they're like yardsticks um let me move on here cuz we we oh they we, are they really are right i mean they 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 capture more than just lyrics they capture an entire time and space in somebody's life um i want to just move a, uh, it is it, it's the it's the almost the backdrop of your life which you know the beatles are the backdrop of just about just about everyone's life Except for, you know, millennials today, I don't think they realize what, what's going on there with the Beatles or if they existed. But, you know, people that live through that generation, you know, have that as the backdrop of their life. They know all the emotions and the feelings and the years and the everything that, that you know, that they, they can see their life before them through those songs. With Kiss songs, same thing. I hear it all the time. You know, I was how many years old when I saw Creatures Tour? Wow. You know, wow, look it up tall. I know where I was. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to hear all of this now, you know? Oh, I know exactly where I was it's fun. with Creatures. I mean, I, I, I would I would sit <laughs> hey, in front of... Hey, it's fun for me, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would sit in front of the mirror and sing all these songs, especially Danger and I Love It Loud. And, and I remember where I sat at the Montreal Forum where when Kiss and the Headpins opening up came in and then seeing you for the first time. And, and so, so, okay, you know, I, I'll skip by the, uh, the demos of 81 and Warrior with Gary Shea and, and, and those guys and, and Hirsch. Let me move to March of 1992, uh, 1982, sorry. Uh, 
this is ah. where, where where you join KISS. You are part of KISS, but it's not announced. Nobody knows it. The public facade is that everything is well in KISS world. Ace and Eric are all going to be here. The truth, of course, comes out, you know, six, seven months later. Uh, talk to me about getting into the band. You know, d- did you have to go into a set of auditions? Were you hired just to be a songwriter? And, and it turned out so well that they said, hey, talk to me about that time and, and and the fact that you had to do it, you know, on the down low and out of the public eye. And the album cover is going to have Ace on it, not you. Um, what was that sort of early... 1982 like for you and 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 getting into that context of kiss world it was completely surreal completely surreal i had i had given up i said well it was i remember it was 1980 and i was uh i I was just trying and trying and trying and auditioning and auditioning and you know I was traveling back and forth across the country from New York to California I mean I if I had two dollars in my pocket I was actually lucky so I was carrying my guitar on a plane you know here or there taking a train or a bus or whatever to audition and nothing was going anywhere so I said that's it um I think I'm I'm ready to throw the towel in I just it's not going to happen it's not out there I've done everything and there was just nothing left to do. So uh, I was living in, in Los Angeles at the time and uh, finally settled there. And I told this story at, in Atlanta, but because the promoter asked me, how did you get into Kiss? And I'd written a song called Back on the Streets. Yes. And I was, I was demoing songs. I, all I was doing was, you know, without songs, you're, you're a guitar player or a musician. And... With songs, you know, you have a chance to get a record contract or, yes. you know. And, and get paid with publishing, too. And by the way, I just, I just before yeah, well, you continue. Get paid with publishing and everything, yeah, but, but, exactly. But, but back so, on the streets. Where, let, me, let me cut you off for where, one second. you know, substance was, was in the songs. And if you could play, then, yeah, you could play and write, you know. So I just want, um, to, I just want to cut you I'm off sorry, before I, you start. I cut you off there, man. No, 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 it's all good. But back on the streets is... To well, me, I had I had a lot of songs that were demoed, right? And um, but that one to me is like the greatest exactly song that Kiss the way it never was happening was. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I was just going to say that, that song. Mitch? I was just going to say that that song "Back on the Streets" to me is the one song that Kiss never released, and it's just a great mistake. I think had they put that on Creatures or had they put it on Lick It Up or it just would have been a phenomenal because that song. Um, maybe perfect's too strong of a work, but that song is perfect. That that song should have been on an album, and why they didn't put it on a beats me. But yeah, go, go ahead. What you were saying. So you have the songs, you have all this. Well, it is. It, it's just thinking about this. But the the awesome, the the awe-inspiring, you know, miracle of all miracles happened to me because I, you know, I had. I was writing with a, a, a talented songwriter in, in Los Angeles, and uh, we had written a song called Tears together. And we were writing some other songs together. And he said to me, um, you know, you got some great songs on this demo of yours, and I'm working with Gene Simmons and from Kiss. And, 
And, you know, I, I know the producer. I, I think he should hear this. And, you know, it was like, well, that's just too big for me. You know, it's too big for me to handle that, you know. And, and I, it was way too big. And, uh, you know, it was like, is there, should I allow myself to think of that or not? And I'd say, no, nah, I mean, I, I was driving a, you know, I'd never forget my car I was driving. It was like a 65 Dodge Dart that had no floor in it, you know? And, and, uh, you know, my, my, uh, wife was pregnant at the time and, you know, it's was, it was like, well, you know, we don't have, you know, I mean, to, to even be able to buy a set of strings was an effort. So, um, but you know, I wasn't going to give up. I was still, you know, still working and this, this looked hopeful. And this was, um, this was 81. I remember this really, really clearly. And, uh, and the songwriter was Adam. He called. It was, yes, yes. And Adam, I remember, at least this is my memory that he, he called Michael, Jackson, Michael James Jackson, who was producing, producing this, the Kiss album. That that was this was the Kiss album back from the Elder, and the big hit of that time period was "Waiting for a Girl Like You," and uh, the now this this is my memory of it. Um, so I'll just tell you my memory of it. So Michael Jackson, uh, had talked to me and said, you know, I hear you got some, a song here that I'm going to be listening to and let me hear it. And if it, if it's, you know, sounds like something we can use, I'll call you. So I thought, listen, whatever, whatever it's, listen, it's a thrill talking to you and, you know, uh, hope I see you, but you know, it's a thrill talking to you. So uh, he, a week later, something like that, he, he heard the song and he said, Vinny, I want you to come down to the studio. And and uh, he said the song, I love it. It'd be perfect for the band, for Kiss. And uh, we'd like you to play on it. And I thought, are you kidding? You can't be serious. So I'm like jumping out of my skin. I remember this. I mean, I, I could almost feel it right now. So I went to the studio and he said, you just set it up. I said, he's, he says, how would you want to set it up? I said, look, I'll play the bass. I'll, I'll set up the guitar, just set up the drum machine for this tempo. I'll put it together. I'll give you a, a scratch demo lead vocal and you can, you know, I'll leave it so you can, you know, put, put whatever instruments you want on it. So it was a record plant. I laid the track down and I'm there all by myself, you know, with an engineer and, um, Eric, there was no drums. There it was just myself, the drum machine and, and putting the track down. So, uh, he, he said, he, I, I remember leaving and he said, uh, we'll be, we'll be talking in a few days. And I thought, okay. So about a week passed and he said, the guys love the song. They want to know if you can come back and, uh, you know, record the song with them in the studio. And I'm thinking, holy shit. Oh my God. This is way bigger than, than my mind was able to wrap itself around. So, uh, you know, we had met and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm completely in awe, you know, making, uh, and, 
complete fool of myself, you know, with the hamana, hamana, hamana. And uh, so um, we we recorded the song, and I'm thinking, this is surreal. This is not really happening, right? But it, but it was. But it was. So Eric, you know, they had this absolutely perfect, phenomenal drum sound. I never heard anything like it in my life. And we haven't heard anything and, like uh, it since, by the way. It's it's it's. Since, since, yeah, yeah. it's true. It is absolutely true. So it was a the high love it loud drum sound. And here's my song, <laughs> you know, like this is, this is too big. You know, it's like the be- being in the, <laughs> being in a studio with the Beatles and they're recording your song, you know, it's just it's way too big. So uh, it was happening. And Paul sang, uh, uh, the le- he sang the vocal. It was, it was, he did such a beautiful vocal on it. Uh, I mean, it was so, so, so touching, so emotional, and it was powerful. It was, it was so powerful. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is, this couldn't be any better. I mean, this is, this is the version right here. This is, is the version that I had been looking for to happen. And, uh, uh, then, then the writing for the record actually began, and then other songs started to happen, and and I said, well, you know, do you have any other songs? I said, yeah, I got a lot of songs. So, well, why don't you get together with Gene and Paul, and let's see what happens. And my God, we, it, it was just, it, it it was an igniting of fuels and and spark and. You know, the fireball. This is a fireball of of creativity and songs and the recordings. It got really good. Now, in the middle of of that process, they were bringing in guitar players. They were still auditioning guitar players. Now, I am writing the songs for the album with them, and but they're auditioning guitar players and. You know, it was painful for me because I wanted this so bad. There was, I never wanted anything in my life, anything. Probably since from that point, from before that, up until that point, I never wanted anything as bad as I wanted to be in that, be with them, be in the group, because I, I bonded with them. They bonded with me. We bonded together. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. How could I bond with the four, with the three of them? You know, and, and, but, but we did. And the writing became really strong. And, uh, you know, it was, it was happening. I mean, you could feel it. You could hear it. You could see it. And yet here was like a, you know, parade of guitarists, you know, beautiful looking guys. I mean, tall, good looking. It was everything I wanted. So I never stood a chance, you know, it was, uh, you know, right. Cause because just, there's, there's no way I stood a chance of, of being in the group, but I used to say, I'm really perfect for this group, you know? <laughs> so one thing led to another, to another, to another. And then I remember this, this is what, this was like the moment, you know, Hey, why don't you play on the album? You know, now, now I was playing on songs on the record. I was playing on leads and then that started to, to cement itself. And then I was playing on more leads, more, I did more lead guitars work on it. 
And then it became, hmm, you know, Vinny kind of, hmm, uh, ha, you know, playing and writing. And, and we got a relationship, hmm. And then the moment came where uh, the album was finished. I Love It Loud was a single. And I'm thinking, I'm still not in the band. Oh, wow. They still were, were not sure. They were telling me Ace was still there, but he may be leaving. And then piece by piece by piece of touch and go, you know, touch and go. Come and rehearse with us. Um, let's see how it goes. And I'd rehearse. And, you know, this is after after the album had been finished. We had bonded together. And, you know, it was... Uh, it was, uh, you know, yes, you, you're good, you're, you're right for the band, but you're not right for the band, you know, you're not as tall as what we're looking for. And I said, look, that, I, I'll, I'll walk on stilts. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll sit on top of a ladder. <laughs> you know? I said, but no, 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 it's, I'm perfect for this band. So it was touch and go, yes, no, yes, no, hmm, maybe, yes, well, let's give it a shot. No, and, and I went through so many of those yes, no, maybes that finally I said, look, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't want to cramp anything you need to do. So whatever, whatever you need to do, you know, um, I, I wish you the best. So, you know, uh, they sent me back home. I remember this was in New York. They had called me one more time in to do a, a lead guitar part for a song called keep me coming. And it was, uh, they said, can you make it to New York? We'll get you a ticket. We want you to play lead on the song. And I said, wow, wow, unbelievable. So now, I, I mean, I was so excited because I thought they'd sent me home for good. So while I was in New York and they said, let's set up some rehearsals, you know, and they were so happy with the lead guitar uh, solo for Keep Me Coming that they set up rehearsals. And, and the rehearsals were clicking. They were, they were hot. You know, it was really like a perfect match. Now, one thing led to another. They were letting me go home. Still didn't, wasn't still giving me an answer. And they did send me home and said, we'll let you know what our decision is. So I ended up going back to Los Angeles. And, you know, uh, my wife and I, Amory, we had this little bungalow and uh, remember this really well. And we had no furniture in it. I remember we had a black and white TV. And uh, I remember t I was in a I was taking a bath. I was actually in a bathtub. I was said I just want a hot a hot bath, you know. I just want to relax. And and so I remember getting a phone call. And it was Gene. And he said, uh, I we band decided uh, we'd like to have you, you know in the band, are, do you, are you interested? And I, I remember just screaming, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I was, it was so surreal that, you know, I said, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, we're going to have you fly back again. So there's a lot to do. Um, so we, I, I remember flying back one more time. Then they were all flying back to LA and the video for I Love It Loud was scheduled and Ace was, you know, it, it was, you know, lip synced, but Ace was still contracted, contracted at that time to still, you know, 
perform or fulfill some contractual obligations. But I was there. I was watching everything. But I was actually a silent member at that at the moment that I Love It Loud video was being filmed. And it was surreal for me. I still, I remember that. Like, uh, it was probably one of the clearest memories I've ever had about about anything. You know, it's almost speaking to you about it. I mean, I could relive it right here. So, so you were at the I Love It Loud uh, video shoot then. Right? I mean, that, that's what, that, that's right. You were, I was, I was watching it all. Oh, and I'm, cool. and I'm saying to myself, Holy that's shit, cool. I'm in this group. Oh man, my God. So this is like, not really right. When no, it, was, it was unbelievable. It, it was unbelievable. So when, when the album comes out in October and it's Ace's face on it, was that like, eh, it's part of the business. He's contractually obligated. Or was it like, Oh, but come on dudes. I played no, on no, it. No, 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 okay. no, no. I was never a come on dudes. No. Okay. No, okay. it was, it, no, no, no. I, I was okay. completely, completely blessed to, to have been for, for that. I mean, I could, they could have had anybody on there, you know, I just was so, so grateful to have been given that chance, you know, and look, I was completely green, you know, uh, and, you know, to learn from the masters, you know, to how to perform and, you know, uh, it was, it was, I don't know, it was like the moment of, of your life where you realize you're in a rocket ship, you know, and you can't even feel this thing taking off until you look behind you and you're going so fast, you know, oh, you go, oh my God, there's the world, you know, there's the earth behind me. And then the earth is getting smaller and smaller and this thing's taking off, you know? So the perspective was changing really fast. So, you know, Ace is on there. That's the way it is. And no problem. No problem. You know? And now, wherever we go from here, we go. You now, know? now, considering that you were uh, very green at the time, uh, were you being treated fairly? What, what Were things, you know, on the up and up? Or did years of experience later, as you got into the late 80s and 90s, you went, hey, wait a minute. I should have done this. I should have done that. I mean, were, were you being treated fairly at the time with the band? Or do you look back with years of experience? Fairly meaning uh, pertaining to what? Well, in, in, in everything. I, I, you know, um, well, look, I, I mean, I have, I do have in front of me one of these lawsuits where, where you talk about having no written agreement. Is, is that something that, that was happening where there, was, there wasn't a written agreement? You didn't have a contract? Well, that's a painful part of, of all of it. Right. I mean, the, the, this this was like everything I had ever wanted, ever, ever, ever wanted. Except the business was all wrong, and it it was. I understand. Look, I I'm a, I'm a nobody, you know. I'm a nothing, you know. I, I just happen to, you know, be in a situation that I've been giving the the chance and opportunity of of you know a ten ten twenty lifetimes, you know. And, you know, these, these, are, these, these, these people are, you know, are worldly. I mean, look what they've accomplished. Okay. So why should they be paying me, you know, more than a few dollars a week? But there was, there was another reality to that, which was, uh, you know, look, you know, I was, I remember I was taking 500 was my take home pay. And it never changed, you know, which is weird. 
and there were contracts that were, you know, wanting me to sign myself over for what seemed to be many, many, many years uh, with not much better of a, you know, of a reward in any of this. And uh, I just, you know, this is where the heartbreak came because um, I started Creatures of the Night tour with, with, you know, went, went from, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait to, well, you can't appear, you cannot appear unless there's a contract here, unless you sign the contract. And uh, I remember I was having, uh, I was having dinner with my mom and dad. We were in New York City. And I said, I said, look, I know it's going to disappoint you, but I don't think I'm going to be in this group. And, and I remember my dad said, look, whatever you think is right, we, you know, we, we're with you, you know, and we love you. Don't worry about it. And, uh, that, that was the pain there. The pain was there. We tried to work it out. We tried to make it so, you know, something could be better, but the lawyers just couldn't get to uh, an agreement where, you know, uh, there was something in it for Vinny, you know, and, uh, yeah, and, that's about it. I'm staring at this large, large dog. It's a sensitive but... subject because so much wonderful, yeah. wonderfulness happened, but there was no, there was no compensation. You know that material compensation, something meaningful. You know, especially since, you know, I, I was helping on the writing, and you know, I wanted it so bad, but there was no possible way that I'd be able to sign a contract that, you know, was going to give 10 years of my life away and with really not much, you know, to come home with. To come home with. Now, 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 let me get away from that because I, I don't want to get in the negative, even even though we turn there for a second. Let's get back to the positive here. Um, the, the Lick It Up album. Now you've done the tour and it didn't sell as well as it was supposed to. And they say, okay, we're going to take off the makeup. We're going to shock the people. We're going to show them our faces. You do the whole MTV thing. Um, talk to me about that album, because I, I'm looking at it now. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight songwriting credits out of 10, which, which is remarkable. I mean, you know, you have more songwriting credits than both Gene and Paul individually. Um, Talk to me about that album and and getting in there and having them essentially say, listen, Vinny, we trust you to write these good songs with us. And it paid off. Great album. Um, So talk to me about that album and and having that the confidence put into you that they know, yeah, we're going to use Vinny to write these songs and they're going to be great songs. And fans responded, album sold well. And it really was sort of the real rebirth of kiss, right? I think so. I think so. Um, I can't speak for, for, for anyone else, but I know that we began writing, um, right. We, we went to Rio in 90, in 83 to do that Rio show. And there were three Brazil shows, which was San Paulo, um, uh, Rio at, uh, American Stadium and in Belo Horizonte, and uh, I do remember how 
you know, how awe, and I mean, it was, it was, it was a shock and awe moment, you know, and it was, look at us. Wow. You know, just three months in here, we're gelling and, you know, I mean, I, I mean, we started, this was June. So I walked in that door in September. So after, I don't know, what was that? Seven, eight months. And we're doing 200,000 state stadium and we were kicking ass. We, it was just, wow. We were hungry. It was, it was ferocious and it was tight and we were good and fearless. And, you know, it, it was so, it was so powerful. I mean, I've, we felt that moment, that stage moment where, it, we were invincible. I I felt that, and I knew I knew that connection, that that moment. And uh, so um, we were. I could remember we were there for two weeks um, in June of '83, and we were writing songs for Look It Up album <laughs> while we were, you know, you know, in in this tropical paradise. So, uh, the record had to be released in September and there's no songs here. And it was like, come on, you want to write songs while we're down here? I mean, this is, this is, you know, this is fun. This place is fun. There's a lot to do. And, you know, no, we got to, we got to write. So they were very disciplined. And I said, guess what? I got a whole bunch of songs. I got a whole bunch of ideas and I'm on fire, you know, and I want this. I really want this. And I want to prove to you that, you know, that this, you know, I want to make you proud of me, you know, and I want to, I want to be such a part of this that we're going to go on forever, you know, and I really, I really wanted that. And that was how I felt. And, and, uh, I, I, I was inspired that, you know, there was just, the times it was just so inspiring being there saying, look, we've got another album. And I'm thinking, yeah, let's do this. Come on. Look how good we are now. So there was not that mention of taking the the makeup off at that point. So, but I did, I did hear something about this is the last show with the makeup, but it was really not, it was a little vague on what we were doing. So, but I did know that we were getting ready to do another record when we get back to New York. So we got to have the songs ready. So, uh, I don't know that kind of demand that, you know, you have to have the song ready tomorrow. You know, there's something very challenging about that. So, uh, you know, it was like when, when I would get together with Paul in his hotel room or Gene, it was something like, you know, all of a sudden the levels, you know, the creative levels, the juices or whatever, just elevated. Like, you know, you're taking an elevator up and it wasn't like, you know, you're riding with somebody that you don't respect. I mean, I had tremendous respect, you know, I could have bowed down to them. I mean, they wrote some of the greatest rock rock and roll songs ever. So I wanted to be where they would, they would be proud of me that they would say, you know, we made a great choice with Vinny, you know? So here's all these songs, one after another, after another, once we got back to New York, it just got better and better and better. And we wrote all that summer. So we got, we got back in June, uh, late June and we 
we, we were with each other every day, 10, 12 hours a day. And we were just kicking, kicking out these great songs. And, and I'm thinking, yes, look at these songs. Yes. And I remember taking this idea to, <laughs> I remember taking this idea to Paul. I said, listen, song's called lick it up. And I, I kept I singing it to him. And I said, this is, think about this. Okay. Think about, think about the whole visual. Think about everything. So I remember saying, eh, I don't think so. I said, what? <laughs> so I remember, you know, we all t- used to alternate, you know, a couple days I'd write with Paul, a couple days I'd write with Gene, you know, things like that. And I said, you know, I said, let me play you a song. <laughs> he goes, and I said, da 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 you play it for Paul? I said, yeah. I said, you like it. He says, you can go play it for Paul again. <laughs> so I remember, you know, next time I got together with Paul, I said, listen, you know, here's a song I got. I took it to you. He didn't like it. Took it to Gene. He liked it. Told me to take it back to you. I said, what do you think of this? Just, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. So we worked on it and he came up with his parts and, you know, all of a sudden this, this thing is born and I'm going, yes, God. So it just, you know, together, together, I really think we were invincible. So, uh, you know, I brought in a lot of songs and, you know, we, we, we just together, you know, it was a together thing, you know, and wow, it just was perfect. It was perfect. You know, I, I would record all of the writing sessions. I, I always had my little recorder with me. Because I said, I'm never going to lose these, this moment. You know, this is a moment in time. I'm going to have this forever. Because when I hear, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, 20 years from now, I'm going to listen to this. Somewhere I'll pull it out of my tape bag and I'll say, I remember that moment, you know. And I've got Gene and I writing I Love It Loud in Diana Ross's house. And, you know, we're trying ideas and lyrics. I go, oh, that's great. Try that. No, this will work. Let's try that. So it's the moments were captured. All the, all those moments were captured. So uh, great moments. Then it, the decision was, let's take the makeup off. We're going to be on MTV. No makeup. We're going to premiere. I love it. Uh, uh, look, look it, it up. up. Video. I look it up. Right. And, uh, that was the moment, you know. Well, first of all, came the video. It was fun. I mean, that video was a real blast to film. We filmed it in the Bronx, and uh, almost like like a war torn part of the Bronx had catering girls, and you know, it was it was like a, a day or two, you know, film it. But we had we had a ball, you know, had a blast. So. You know, shortly after, you know, it was this uh, MTV un- unmasking, you know, and, uh, you know, here it's, it's okay. Here's Kiss without the makeup, everybody. So it was surreal. I mean, the whole thing was just completely It was very surreal. surreal. And, and unfortunately, because I live in Canada, I never got to saw the MTV thing because we didn't have MTV up here. And I remember distinctly being at the mall and walking by a record store, which was called, I believe, Discus at the time. And I saw the album with Kiss with no makeup. And I went, say what now? What's this? And 
and, and I and I, I didn't know if it was real or if it was fake or if it was a bootleg. And I and and, and I immediately bought it because it was like only like seven ninety nine or whatever it was. It was you know when records were were reasonable, and and that's how I learned of the unmasking of Kiss. There was no MTV. There was no internet. It was this serendipitous walk through the mall and this a rack of these C, of these uh, not CDs uh, vinyls. And I went, oh my god. <laughs> Look at that. What the hell is that? Uh, yeah, you know. well, well, that record cover actually took a lot of incarnations before we got to that, to the simplicity of that cover. And, you know, we tried this, we tried that, we tried this setting, we tried that setting. And all of a sudden there was that moment, you know, there was that that photo session because I've got outtakes from that photo session, which is like we're sitting down, you know, we're standing up, you know, standing sideways, you know, and but it was all that all, we're all wearing all the same clothes, and you know, all of a sudden it's just the simplicity of just standing there, and then Gene has his tongue out, you know, which is ah, yeah, this is the same band, you know. And it's called Lick It Up. I mean, it was just a, just that magic moment, you know? Very, and, very uh, effective. <laughs> I remember MTV people going, what? <laughs> Who's this stuff? Kids without the makeup? God, are they ugly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I have, to, was, I have was, a curiosity. It was so much fun. It was a fun time, but I'll tell you what, the right. tour was even more fun. Yes. It was huge. It was a really, the record took off and... The, you know, the, 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 you know, rock and roll was here, here again, you know, MTV rock and roll. It was, it was, it was a great time. Yeah. And Perfect. I saw you uh, in Montreal with the band, except open up doing their balls to the wall stuff. Well, let me ask you one thing here before we move away from kiss and to other topics, but uh, I've always been curious. Rick Derringer came in and did lead guitar on exciter. Why was that? Was, was it something about the, the, the guitar that, you just weren't capturing. Were you not available? Were you sort of having a day off, and they just needed to get it finished? No, 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 no. no. Okay. I, 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 Rick, I, I love Rick's playing. I, I absolutely been a big fan of Rick. Uh, when he was with Edgar Winter, I mean, I, oh, I adored Rick's playing with Edgar Winter. And uh, this was in the early '70s, and uh, all I remember was I, I had done a lead for it that I thought was just so right for for the song and they said no it's not where we want so i said you know and i remember trying a lot of leads and and so they weren't happy there was nothing nothing i did made them happy so we're going to bring in another player so my heart sank and uh between me and you and nobody else (laughs) Right. Like there's nobody else going to listen to this. Right. Right. So between me and you and no one else, my heart sank. I mean, I was really upset that they would bring in another player and, and I, all right. Okay. Okay. I'm hurt. You know, I am really hurt. Uh, I thought what I played was really right for the song and okay. You know, it's your band. You do what you need to do, but I was hurt. And, uh, you know, and, uh, to a snow consoling me, but I had to be professional about it. And, uh, and, and it, it, it apparently it made them happy, made Gene and Paul happy. And I guess, you know, what can you do? <laughs> Not much. And, and so that's how it happened. Okay. And, and you must, uh, do you have a, a version of that song with you doing all the guitars on it? Cause that should be on some kind of deluxe I do. edition. I do. And I, oh. 
I do. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was perfect for the song, but, uh, apparently they didn't think so. And you know, these, these things happen. What can, what can what, you do? What can you do? You but know? you know what? But you're, I do you're, have a first. But you're, you're in good company. I mean, they replaced Ace Fraley on the song Sweet Pain. On Every Time I Look at You on Revenge, they brought in Dick Wagner. So you're in a long line of people that they, that, you know, take it as a compliment, right? <laughs> Look, I think, I think, you know, whoever owns the band gets to call the shots. And, you know, I was still lucky to be there. You know, I was still so lucky to be there, you know, um, and, uh, you know, whatever they, they needed to do, they had to do, right. you know, and, and uh, eventually it was all right with me. But, you know, I hated my playing on that record and, and I was so upset that I couldn't capture, you know, the playing I wanted to, to, to get to. But, but then, you know, we still couldn't work out the contracts and, uh, you know. The, yeah. the sadder parts came in into play, but yeah. So let's avoid those sadder parts. Tour. So I was actually going to talk about revenge now, but why don't you like your playing ah. on on "Lick It Up"? Because listen, "Lick It Up" is a classic song. A million to one is probably the best Kiss song ever written. I mean, I just love that song to death. Um, oh, I love that song. Oh, I love that song. I remember I was in my mom and dad's basement. I wrote that in my mom and dad's basement we were in they were still living in the house i grew up in on garfield avenue in bridgeport and i came home we were you know it was at that summer of of 83 and i i had this song and i i said i this is a nice song and i'm going to take this to the band i remember writing just about all of it and so i had this really nice memory of that song so i love that song it's actually one of my favorite songs it really is. Um, so why aren't you happy with your playing on the record? Uh, because uh, my playing, you know what? I never listened to that record, so I really don't remember it. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know it, what it sounds like today, but I remember uh, last time I heard it, I, you know, which was way back then. Um, I said, oh, I, I don't like my playing on here. I, I'm not, wow. I'm not where I, I want to be. And, and uh, that wasn't where I wanted to be, but it was a classic record. I remember that. So, um, so do yourself a favor. Go back yeah, and listen God, to it. Really, Come on. Really, <laughs> so you know more about these records than I do. I just of course. I know more about the, you know the, the peripheral part of it. You know, you you know more like putting the needle down and hearing it. And I'm I never I never get to that point. You know, I'm just to the point where we're in the studio and we're all, you know, recording it. The tape is rolling. But at the end, it, it's like, ah, uh, I don't, I don't, I never like to hear the record when it's finished. I mean, I'll hear it once or twice and, you know, I won't hear it for many years until, until years later, you know, when, when a lot of time passes, that's when I can actually hear something I've done before, but I don't like to hear it. You know, I'll hear it like when it's completed at that moment. And I'll decide, do I like this? Don't I like it? But then I won't hear it anymore. You know, Um, you know, once that period is over, I I usually don't like to go back and listen to it again, which is kind of weird. But well, no, in fact, many uh, musicians say that and they always say a long time. Yeah. And they always say to me, Mitch, you don't understand. You know, we worked on that record for two years before it came out. And by the time it's out, we're sick of it. So, you know, we don't want to hear it again. So let me get to revenge real quick, because, 
you know, when people ask me as a Kiss fan, what are your three favorite Kiss records? I always say the very first one because it started everything. I say Creatures of the Night and I say Revenge. Those are my top three. And guess what? You're on two of them, right? Oh. Um, so, wow. So, and and unholy, I mean, I by by eighty eight eighty nine, I had sort of given up on Kiss because there was Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and Ozzy was solo, and and I remember walking in front of the TV and Much Music in Canada was on and Unholy was playing, and I said, well, you know, I love this song, and I didn't know, and I went, who who is this? And I looked at it, and like, and then the screen said, Unholy Kiss, whatever Mercury, and I went, what? That's Kiss? Are you kidding me? Wow! And that got me back into it. So, um. Talk to me about this Revenge album, because you had left. We know you left. You did Vinnie Vincent's Invasion. We did all this, and, and, and in the media, people had asked Gene and Paul about Vinnie, and, and you know, it wasn't always the nicest things that were said. And then, oh, Vinnie wrote Unholy. Yeah. And you're like, what? V- Vinnie wrote Unholy? What? Uh, and then you'd, I just want to. Well, I, you know, I'm going to back you up. I'm going to back you for yeah. a second here, but yeah. the things that were not not nice that were said, right. I think were were it, there was a lot of hurt on both ends because you know think of think of what we had achieved with Look It Up and, and Creatures of the Night. I mean, we had the magic, and I had to go I for agree. the reasons that we talked of. So so there was there was like you you know you can't leave after after we just did all this you know and uh, you know. Well, you know, please, please treat me right, and I'm staying. I don't want to go anywhere. But that was the hurt involved because, and I think that was the the, the genesis of why why everything was said because because it worked so well with us because it was the magic was there because we you know what what we achieved. You can hear the dogs. Um, so. Yeah, well, you know, I I rescue, you know. Yeah, and, well, we uh, do any, too. I have I have a rescue a right next to me. Comes over to my house over here, so. <laughs> Which is great. But anyway, so revenge was was the moment I walk into A and M Recording Studios in L.A. and I see Gene there, and so, hey, what's he doing? You know, good to see you. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. And. uh well, we're going out to eat for something. You want to come? Yeah, I'd love to. So, we, you know, it's this is this is after this was nineteen, yeah, this is nineteen eighty nine. So about five years passed, and uh, yeah, yeah, we we it was by accident, and then we had dinner together. There was Paul, myself, Gene. I guess someone else was was along. I couldn't remember. Probably Tommy. So uh, you know, it was like old times, and uh, almost old times. And um, hey, you know, well, let's get together. You know, let's get together again. I can't remember who said that, but it might have been me. Um, well, we're doing working on a new record. What do you think? Uh, let's get together again and write. <laughs> Bing, you know, Bing. So yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Why not? And boom, happened again. Boom, boom, boom. Just song after song after song after song. We wrote so many songs for that record. Now, strange enough, <laughs> after after all these after all this time, Gene calls. Uh, I hear from Gene uh, a few number of months ago, and he says that song that we wrote for the Revenge album, "I Want to Live." is something I'm putting on my, in my vault. 
thing. <laughs> so I said, ah, oh, I said, that was the best song we ever wrote. I said, that is my favorite song that we had ever written together was I want to live. Right. So, uh, you know, here it is. It's in, it's in his vault, uh, box set or whatever. Yeah. And so we, we had written, we were really prolific on that record. Bob Ezrin, uh, was a producer and, uh, uh, we were together constantly, day and night, for 12 months, and uh, unholy, you know. I remember the beginnings of that song, and uh, I remember Gene had said, Gene had said, uh, we, I got this song called Unholy Love, and I said, Unholy Love? I said, no, 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 no. I said, the song title is Unholy. And he goes, ah, Unholy. Okay. And so I remember where he was going with the lyric. And I said, no, 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 no. It's, it's, you know, all through the ages of all, all the unholy, evil, wicked things that mankind has done is what this song is about. I mean, we're, there were, there were books, I mean, just books, spiral binders of lyrics that were written for that song. It was almost next to impossible, you know, to pick the moments out in time, you know, of, you know, all the evil that had, you know, that had uh, manifested itself over, right. you know, our human lifetime. But that's where that song ended up going. And it was just being honed down and honed down and honed down. And uh, finally, you know, we, we were, I was at all the sessions, all the recording sessions. So, you know, watching it all materialize there. So I remember singing on all the songs too, uh, background vocals on all the songs. And I knew this was going to be a great album. I just, I mean, I just knew it. We hit, we hit gold again, you know, it was just that here's, here's that magic we had. It just doesn't go away. Anytime that we're together, the magic always happened. So, so let me ask you two so, questions. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a great record. Let me ask you two things uh, in connection to that. First of all, uh, you know, you do speak of the magic, and, and you look at the, the track record. I'm going to have to agree with you. You know, Creatures is great. The Lick It Up stuff is great. The uh, Revenge stuff is great. If Gene and Paul called, and of course Gene called to, to have you to come do the vault thing, but if he called and said, let's write again, would you or is are you gun shy? Are you sort of like, yeah, I'd love to, but there's this other stuff that we've talked about that's, eh. or would you would you say, yeah, okay, you you want me to write with you? I I would. Come well, in. I think we went through we went through hell. I went right. through hell. Right. <laughs> they've got they've got a lot. They've got more money than 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 there is in Fort Knox, so they don't have to go through hell. But uh, they I went through hell. But you know, there's there's something that that trans transcends that which is, you know, there's almost, the two could, could be juxtaposed and there's a juxtaposition where you go, well, one conflates with the other and no, I can't work with you again. But, but there is a separation of, of, you know, uh, of the magic that happens that that seems to have a protective wall around it that nothing that I don't let that that's impervious to the pain side of the of the of, equation uh, on the other side of it it's like the artist so, in you would know, say yes like, 
right? I mean, the artist in you would say Absolutely. yes. But, Absolutely. Not, but, without a question. I'd okay. say I'll be there. And the same thing with the vault. I said, if you need me, I'm there. You just let me know. You know? And no matter what happened, I'll, I'll always be there for you. So you want me? I'm there. That's, you know? And then, so, no, if, if, if that was the case and we had, we were, there was another record and involved, I'm, I'm there. You know? Huh? We could, we could uh, we... Because the artist says yes. Yeah, the artist because says... the magic, the history, you know, it all says yes. There's nothing that says no. Okay. You know? um, and then on Unholy or, or on the Revenge record, there has been for years this debate in the case community. Yes, Vinny played on it. He does the scratching part on the beginning of Unholy. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He play... Did you have any guitar parts of yours? on the revenge record did you play on it i anywhere? think so i okay. think so remember this was i was with that we were together for an entire year a little bit over a year actually and a lot of it was in the studio there was many different studios and i remember gene saying come on play come on put the guitar on and play <laughs> I, so i think yes i think yes so i'll leave it there I like that answer. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of this, you know, you can't. It's hard to remember everything, but I think yes. Oh, that's, see that that's great news. Now, we we are an hour and a half in, and I could go on forever. Oh, is that all? Is that all? Now, <laughs> do you want to 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 go through the Vinnie Vincent invasion stuff and, and and keep going? Do you want to say say thank you goodbye, and we'll do a part two later on? Uh, really. What do you, what do you know? Cause I can uh, go- part two would be great only because we could approach it really fresh, you know? Yes. Because I am sort of getting loopy. <laughs> it could be a fresh day and okay, so- you can have all your new questions ready. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Um, so let's, let's do yeah. that. How about a part two on a new brand new day where we start the day with Vinnie Vincent invasion? Yes. The, I am totally, totally down for that. So then let so let's finish then real quick on kiss. Um, looking back at, at, at everything, you know, looking at your time, you just, how, how do you sort of look at Gene and Paul these days? Were these guys that helped your career? I mean, do you have a lot of love for them? Is it a lot of hate? I mean, I hope it's not hate, but you know, are they, are they good no, guys? No, no, you, no. I okay. love them. Love okay. them both. I always will. Okay. I think Paul is consummate, you know, performer, uh, showman, he's he's a great singer. Uh, I mean, it, it's you know I am uh, you know I'm 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 I feel a pride you know in in what we did. I mean I and a, a, a real a real sense of look what we did together, you know. And I came into this green, and you taught me everything, everything that I know. You know, you taught me, you know, taught me how to be a performer, taught me how to be a professional. You know, I mean, I, it was, it was, uh, you know, there's, there's no amount of, of thank yous that could be, you know, that, that I could come up with. There's not enough. So no, there's, there's, there's really nothing but love. We had a great time working together. We laughed constantly. Um, you know, uh, Gene, Gene is Gene. I mean, you know, Gene Simmons is Gene Simmons, you know? So <laughs> what do you say? You know, 
what can you say? I mean, I could, I could say a lot of things, you know, all, all good, all good. He's, he's a, he's a really, he's a kind soul. I mean, he's a, he's got a lot of beauty in him, you know? And, um, I'm the only disappointment thing that, that I felt is, you know, I was hoping that they would have found value that they would have valued what we had and, uh, just made it work, you know? And I think they could if, if they wanted to, but maybe some people are not, are not that way. So maybe they couldn't, even if they wanted to. So I give them all the benefit of the doubt and life is life. And, you know, uh, you do the best you can and you try to make it work. If it doesn't, you know, I have nothing but, you know, a praise and, uh, and gratitude for giving me that chance in my life. You know, I became Vinnie Vincent because of that, because of them. And, uh, so it all worked, you know, we left, we left, uh, you know, a lot of beautiful, great shows behind. We left great albums for people to remember. We left tours that, you know, there was fun for people to remember and, and I still love them. And, and, and a lot to be proud of. And of course, uh, um, we'll finish with this and then we'll do a part two, but there is new Vinnie Vincent music coming, right? I mean, that's, that, that's to be expected. I think there is, there is, there is, there is, there is okay, now, great. um, you know, it's, you know, recording a new record, um, is there, it's, it's, there's cost involved and there's logistics involved. And now I've, I've had, 20 years of, of stacks of songs that said, you better record me, Vinny. I'm going to be pissed if you don't. So, uh, I've got the Vinnie Vincent archives, which, you know, are tracks from guitar Mageddon that, that people have never heard. I've got all the songs, all the, all the outtakes, all the writing sessions from, from the kiss years. And, uh, and all the new music. So yes, there is songs that, uh, somebody's going to be real mad at me if I don't record these songs, and that's the my alter ego is going to hate me. So, um, yes, there's new music, and we're just trying to put together, you know, the right mini tours and just the cash together to to record the new record. So, yeah, it's a Shredsville time, and you know, full shred boogie and. The mojo is working, baby. Well, I'll you know? tell you what. If you need if you need help to, to get shows in Canada, I, I know a lot of the promoters. I'd be more than happy to reach out and make the connections and give you the, the proper numbers because I think I think it would be fantastic. I, I think it'd be great to see oh. you. You know, and uh, I will also Canada read is out, a beautiful place. It's a great place, and I'll reach out. Mm-hmm. To, I'll reach out. I said I'm going to reach out to John Waite as well and just tell him that we spoke. And uh, yeah, just uh, good stuff. And of course. Uh, we'll answer the the burning question: Did Vinnie Vincent save Kiss? And the answer is an unmitigated. <laughs> well, do <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Right, I did. <laughs> that's right. That is right. Well, let's put it that way, <laughs> you know, because that I guess that's becoming the 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 answer, the you joke, know? right? The it's expected been... answer. So we'll right. leave it there. Please tell John that I'm a fan. Yep. I, I I'd love to work with him and. Uh, uh, I, I'm honored. I'm honored that he remembered me. So, absolutely. Uh, and and leave do, it there, Mitch. And, and uh, when you're ready two. for part two, absolutely. Uh, when you're ready, I'll be ready for you. How's that? Thank you, sir. Great pleasure.
Hey, it's a great pleasure here, and uh, I thank the fans for me in Canada. Can't wait to see everybody there, and I love you guys. So thank you so much, Mitch, and uh, we'll talk to you on part two. Great. All right? Thank you. thank you, Vinny. Have a good night. Bye-bye Okay, now. rock and roll. Cheers. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And there you have it, folks, my interview with the one, the only guitarist, Vinny Vincent. And as you heard, we covered his early career. We covered Kiss, but we did not cover the Vinny Vincent invasion. And we are, of course, planning on a part two, which will happen very, very soon, I hope. But until then, I have Miles Goodwin of the band April Wine. He has a new album out called Mile Goodwin and Friends of the Blues. That includes Rick Derringer, which we spoke about with Vinny, and and Frank Marino, a local Montrealer who is just, you know, Mahogany Rush. I mean, come on. That is some crazy guitar playing stuff going on there. And Bill, welcome back again for our third segment. April Wine, sir. Have you had any oh. kind of connection with... I mean, you've toured with April Wine. You've played shows with April Wine, if I'm not mistaken. We sure have. We were lucky our booking agent books them as well and um, done a couple shows with them. And, and what a great band, uh, you know, in the studio and live. They're, they're incredible. And uh, my favorite story about, about Miles is, um, you know, how most hotels you can't check in until 3 o'clock. I mean, even if you get there... You know, at 11 a.m., they go, ah, you know, the rooms aren't ready. We were sold out last night. The maids are working on them. You know, just just wait there patiently. Well, everybody's room was ready except for mine and Miles. And then this huge baseball team came in, and they got all their rooms. But the cool thing for me is I got to sit there and talk to Miles for a long time and tell him what a great musician and great influence he was on me. And and uh, he he's just a wonderful guy. And, and, man, live, he's just so – the band's so good. And uh, yeah, they, they so really are. My, I love Roller. I love I like to rock. And um, my my favorite song of theirs is um, All Over Town. Oh yeah, and, and of I course used to cover all those. Yeah, well, yeah, right in your in your band back in the day, and and of course you've got uh, Just Between You and Me, uh, Rock and Roll is a Vicious Game. I mean, just these are great wow. great songs. And and here's the fun thing that you don't know is that Miles actually lives the city over from me, so he's about a ten minute drive from me. I could I should oh, cool. And and he's in the same area as Aldo Nova, so me me Aldo and Miles definitely should go to lunch at some point. I think I think that would be a, a wise oh, yeah. decision. But I you think know. there's a six pack in there somewhere, <laughs> yeah. or two or three. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Miles Goodwin and Friends of the Blues. It, it's it's not April Wine. It's, it's of course him doing the blues, but it's just so well put together. There is a song on there called "I Hate to See You." but I love to watch you walk away. You got to go to Spotify, go to iTunes. It's, it's funny lyrically, I guess. Uh, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to sound disparaging when I say that, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun lyric and musically it's just, it's just bang on. And I mean, you've got Rick Derringer on the album. You've got Frank Marino on the album. Like I mentioned, like, wow. I mean, I mean, this is, this is right up your alley, Bill. This, this is, this is the kind of album I think that you would love quite frankly. Well, yes, this stuff, you know, it all comes back to the blues. I love the blues and, and rock and roll was based on the blues. And you mentioned, you know, Rick Derringer, who I saw in a club in Richmond, Virginia, when I was a kid. I saw Frank Marino when I was a kid in a club. And, um, you know, of course, Miles, you know, what a voice, what a writer, you know, and, and, and what a great hook that, that's, you know, the title of the album. That's, that's awesome. 
Yeah, such a great look. And uh, speaking of great hooks, of course, you've got two songs right now, uh, Memorable and Love is Like a Song, which I think have great hooks. They are, they are available on Leverty.com. And as you pointed out, or as I, I failed to point out, you get two for one, folks. If you buy one of these two songs, the other one comes automatically with it. Right, Bill? That's, that's a great concept. Uh, two for one. Yeah, they'll finish both songs at about the same time. So I figure I'd just offer them both up for a buck, two songs for a buck. So go to levity.com and uh, donate a dollar in the, in the till and you automatically get two songs sent to you right away. So yeah, that's great. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's a great concept. And, and that's what I've always loved about you and, and, and the rest of the firehouse guys is that you've always, always been very fan friendly. If you go to a firehouse show and you just want to get a picture or, or shake a hand or just, you know, you'll always make time for fans. And that's 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 what it should be about. And, and I love that. And, and this, again, shows it. You know, you could sell each song for, for two bucks, but you choose to sell two songs for a buck instead. So kudos to well, you. Well, fans make it make it uh, us able to do it. So we appreciate the fans that uh, keep supporting us. So we haven't forgotten about that. Yes, and let's uh, let us get over because this this episode is a super deluxe episode. I mean, it's like a box set of episodes at this point. <laughs> so let's get over to Miles Goodwin of April Wine and uh, let's hear him talk about Miles Goodwin and Friends of the Blues. Here is the one, the only Miles Goodwin. We are speaking with April Wine's Miles Goodwin. The new album is Miles Goodwin's and Friends of the Blues. Good day, Miles. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, good day. It's a beautiful sunny day here in the neighborhood. It is, and, and in fact, uh, we're, we're only about 15 minutes apart from each other, which is kind of exciting. Um, yes, I, I, I just drove by your place, uh, my way from Godin Guitars, your your area. Oh yes, which is actually right down the street. Um, yeah. You know, let me let, let's let's talk this blues album, and then maybe we'll we'll reminisce because, of course, I I had first seen April Wine. Boy, it was 80, 81 at the forum with, I guess it was Johnny Winter at the time. So it's been, it's been a long time that I've followed this band and um, just always great stuff. But the blues album, your first sort of blues album, you of course had the Miles Goodwin album back in, I guess it was 88. But talk to me mm-hmm. about putting together this one. And you've got, of course, another local Montrealer on there, Frank Marino, uh, contributing some, some licks. Um, let's, why the blues, I guess? Well, I've always, uh, you know, I've always liked the blues. Uh, you know, that, that uh, I wasn't, um, I wasn't a fanatic when it came to the blues, but I just, I really enjoy a good song. So when I listen to, uh, to certain blues players, uh, that they, you know, they had it all. They had, uh, they had the voice, the, the chops, uh, uh, the style, everything, the delivery, but, uh, but they also had fine material. So as a songwriter, I really kind of go in that direction. And, and there's a lot of, uh, the blues influences for me for were were uh were with BB King he had some great great songs and uh of course and Muddy Waters and all those guys had had uh, the opportunity to record great songs and 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 became and they became classics because they are great songs and and so I just wanted to write some songs I wanted to write some great blues songs I enjoyed the blues Taj Mahal was a big influence on me I got his first well it's a second record called Natural Blues in 1968 69 i still have that recording and i and i still listen to him he's a he's a master and an icon and and so i kind of just wanted to write some great blues songs i almost died in 2007 you know as i've talked about this in my book just between you and me and i've I've talked about it in public before and and when i recovered from that uh months later i yeah i had uh the desire to do some things that uh 
that uh, were important to me. One was writing just between you and my memoirs to set the record straight because I never really talked about all the years and all the changes and so forth. And then I had a list of recordings that I wanted to do. And at the top of that list was a blues recording. So I started writing that album 10 years ago and uh, finally got it out, uh, you know, this year. Yeah, it's funny because I, I looked back as I was doing the research and it said uh, as far back as 2008, they were like, I'm writing this blues record. It'll be out soon. And I was like, am I missing one? Did, I, did it fall through the cracks? Where is it? <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's been 10 years. So so let's just let's look at that for a second. Why 10 years? Though? Was it just because April Wine was busy doing you know, some shows or were, it had to be right? What, what was sort of the delay in terms of, of between then and now? Well, well, first of all, the, the blues is the blues, you know, and, and, and it's it's uh, it, it's it's timeless. So I, I never felt like I had to get it done this year because I'll miss the wave of whatever it might be. You know, when grunge came out of Seattle, everybody wanted to play grunge. Of course, that that fizzed out as we as we knew it. Uh, but blues is timeless. So I knew I didn't have to rush that whatever I wrote one year would be good the next and the year after that and maybe forever. So I, there was no pressure that way, but I did have April wine dates and I had to get my health together. And I did have deeper wine dates. Uh, I, I've written, you know, I wrote two books. The second one has just come out called Elvis and Tiger. So I was writing books over that time and I was writing songs and the song process can be faster. It can be slow, but, but mainly I was taking big breaks from it all uh, to do other things. And of course, when I'm dealing with outside, um, people outside of any kind of band format, uh, the guests or the friends on, on, on this, uh, CD album, uh, I had to, they had their schedules to contend with too, and they're very busy. And so just one thing led to another. Then when it was finally the way I liked it, I wanted to make sure that I had a good vehicle, uh, for a release. I didn't want to put these songs out and have nobody hear them. So then I had to deal with the business part of it. So at the end of the day, it, it took that long. That's how long it took. Now the new one, Friends of the Blues 2 has already started and it'll be done. It'll be done this summer and ready for whenever it's needed. So there you go. Oh, that's great. Now, uh, talk to me quickly about getting Rick Derringer and, and Frank Marine on that. Because those, in my own personal history of growing up in, here and in, in music and stuff, those two guys are just these two great players. And, and Frank, I think, especially outside of Canada, sometimes gets forgotten and uh, just talk to me about getting those guys on there, and what do they con- contribute to uh, to the album? Well, I mean, Rick, I've known for a long, long time. We, we used to tour together back in the late seventies, early eighties, whatever, and uh, so I knew him from then. Uh, and and I, I've toured with him more recently in the last uh, you know while, in the last ten, you know, fifteen years. We keep you know keep running into each other. Uh, the last time was at the beginning of this year. We did a rock cruise together down to Mexico. Uh, so I've known him a long time. So I just, you know, as I was at one point, I just said to Rick, you want to play on my, my album? He said, sure, man. And, and that's really, really all it was to it. Uh, as far as Marina goes, Frank and I have been friends for a long, long time. And uh, we have uh, great conversations. But uh, uh, I, I was writing a song called uh, Brand New Cardboard Belt. And it's just about a character that's yeah. got a happy-go-lucky. He doesn't have a lot, but he's a real, real pleasant fellow. And there's one point where he's talking about Salvation Army and their clothes are ragged, but they're nice and clean and they're experienced, if you know what I mean. And the experience reminds me, of course, Jimi Hendrix and the experience. And, I, and, and Frank has a tie-in with Mahogany Rush and, and Hendrix and so forth. So I asked Frank to play those three notes. <laughs> and he said yes. And then I had him 
uh, asked him to play on a, a song called I'll, I'll Hate You Till Death, that was part 12 bar blues. Uh, and he was gracious enough to say yes to that. And he plays, you know, lots, lots through that song. He's, he's one of the main soloists, along with Kenny Blues Boss, Wayne on piano. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I just want to get over here quickly to some of your past. Uh, working with Eddie Kramer on the Live at the El Macambo album back from 77, he, of course, worked with Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Kiss, and others. Uh, just talk to me about those that those two days, March 4th and 5th, where here's April Wine opening up one of the most famous clubs in Canada for the Rolling Stones. Um, yeah, well... Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, that thing is, uh, it's a good question. It's, you know, this has been explained up teen times. It's also in my book, Just Between You and Me, my memoir. But, you know, yeah, we just got a phone call saying, you mind, you know, being a smokescreen for the Stones. So we were in the Alma for a few days. And the reason uh, that the Rolling Stones management called us is because we did them a favor. They, they had some equipment that was blown up. They had a gig at the Montreal Forum back in 77 or 6, because we did this in 77. So just prior to that, I guess in the same year, uh, they had this uh, some equipment destroyed and some kind of a bomb that went off down downtown. And so we loaned them a bunch of stuff so they could do their show that night, and they didn't forget it. Their manager, Peter Rudge, contacted our management and said, would April One be interested in this this event? So we were, that's where, we, you know, so we said, of course, yeah. And uh, it was great. It was, it, was, it, was, it was great. It would have been nice uh, with all, all the distractions. Of course, Keith Richards was busted for for heroin and all kinds of craziness went on. But uh, wow, what a treat. Margaret Trudeau was in the middle of it. So there was a lot of controversy around that, 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 that those few days. <laughs> but it was great fun. Yeah, what, wasn't and, it though? And, and, I, and I still talked to Eddie. I still talked to Eddie. He called me. I'm in the middle. Of, I got a cottage on the ocean down in Nova Scotia. And in the middle of nowhere, and I'm down there in my cottage, and I get a phone call uh, about six months ago. And it's, Eddie, how you doing? <laughs> like, how could you possibly find me here? But uh, he's a wonderful man, and it's great to have worked with him. And I, I'm sure I will again. Yeah, Eddie's great. And, and I, it, it gets me on to the next part of, of the band's career, of course. Uh, you know, in 76, you went out and did those shows with Hart, and, and it was sort of the beginning of where America got well, to actually, discover Well, actually, they came, out, they came out and did those shows with us. Right, right, of course, of course. Um, yes. Yeah, they were brand new. We were the headlining, and they opened up. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but that Just for the record, <laughs> yes, yes. I got that. I got that uh, backwards. But uh, but I was going to say that that package though was one of those packages that sort of solidified both bands, and people went, "Oh, okay," and they took notice. But then after that, first glance comes out harder, faster, nature of the beast. To me, that's sort of the triple header. That's the, that's sort of the meat of of April Wine, where people just went, "Ah, okay." Um, is that sort of how you, how you saw it, where after the, that tour and after the El Combo and as 78 rolled around, you just hit this stride and that's where First Glance and the band was just firing at full well, cylinder? I, I, I don't think that the El Combo had anything to do with it. I don't think uh, Rush opening, not Rush, excuse me, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, <laughs> the Wilson sisters opening for us. Right. I don't think that had anything to do with uh, with breaking the states. Those were just uh, cool things that happened. There were a lot of cool things. We played with a lot of great people. Now, April Wine started 50 years ago next year. In 1969, we came out of Halifax and, and settled in Montreal. And we're based out of Montreal. But then we started making records. We had hit after hit after hit. So here in Canada, 
we were a household name. Like, I, I used, to, I read that back then, all one in every three homes that had a, some kind of April Wine music in in their in their house. I mean, we had so many hits. We had albums that went triple platinum that had never been done before. We broke attendance records all across the country and on and on, double and platinum records. Uh, but we, we had trouble breaking the states. We had a few moments where you could have been a lady back in 73. I think it was her one or something like that. I forget. And anyway, uh, but in Canada, I mean, you know, we had all the homes and nice cars and a really wonderful lifestyle, and, and, and it was fantastic. But breaking the state was difficult. What broke the states for us was we went to Las Vegas, I wrote a song called Roller from that experience, and we we signed a brand new record deal uh, with uh, an American company. Uh, for the first time, we had a good American deal for the very first time ever. And uh, Brian Greenway joined the band because I wanted to go with three guitars. So we we all of these things were very direct, and we made an album that rocked more than some of the previous albums because the previous ones were all over the place. You could have a rock song, you could have a ballad. Of course, April One is known for ballads. You could have fun songs. Uh, all kinds of uh, of different styles, everything from "You Won't Dance with Me" uh, to uh, to the hardest of songs. So I said, "Look, let's just let's just tighten our belts here. Let's focus. Let's just give the American public something that's easy to understand, and that might help us out." And I wrote "Roller" and so forth, and that came out on a real label, and that changed everything. All the rules. Yeah, it really did. And and Aquarius it was a game changer. Yeah. Yeah, at first glance, what was a game changer, and of course, Aquarius did some great stuff back then, and working with uh, Donald Kay. Um, well, did... in Canada, they always were doing, you know, great things in Canada through all of those years, you know, with uh, with uh, with with Stand Back and the Electric Jewels and and all of those wonderful records. Some of them, some of them are my favorites. It was only until until, like I said, nineteen seventy eight, with first glance, that the American and the European market came into play because of uh, of the of the of the work of of the record labels and so right. forth outside of this country and in in you know hand in hand with the canadian counterparts but it was really the american company that really made the difference there oh it really did um yeah. you of course it is the 50th anniversary next year where where do we see the the ba- let me rephrase that. In terms of celebrations, what is the band planning, if anything, for the 50th anniversary? We're planning on our first album in a long time. Um, uh, we it's haven't been, it's uh, been, made a record. I don't, I don't know the last time we made a record. I, I don't even remember. It 2006, roughly speaking. Yeah, that would be 2006. So we're due. Yep. Uh, so people are saying, what about one more? And so we've got something very, very special. You know what? I only had a chance to talk to the band about it yesterday. For the first time, uh, we finally got together. We don't work in the wintertime, but we had a show down in Vegas. We had a sold-out show down there two nights ago. And I got everybody together and said, here's what I want to do for, for the 50th anniversary. And they're very excited about it. I can't quite talk about it, but it's something we've never done before. And, uh, yeah, and so there is a new record in the works for next year. In terms of, of a new record in the works, do you look back at, albums like Nature of the Beast and First Glance and say, okay, we need to recapture that sound? Or how do you approach a new April Wine record? Is it just sort of, it'll be what it'll be? Or do you sort of try to look back and say, okay, this is our sound. No. That's what we got to capture. No, no, it's nothing like that at all. No. 
Okay. Um, that's why I say I can't even talk about it. It's, it's so unique and different for us that I, 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 don't, I can't even talk about it. Yesterday, it only became uh, a, a discussion for the band members in the last 48 hours. So that's why we'll have to announce that later. But it's not, nothing like that. Nothing like you're, what you're saying, you're suggesting, no. Okay. Now, <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, I'm looking got, for... Got to hold the cards a little bit closer, close to me right now. Got to hold it a little bit closer. Well, hopefully... I got it right now. I'm so sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> Well, then I'll ask you this, even though you probably won't be able to answer, but do you think some of the uh, past members that are still with us, you'll you'll bring them back in some capacity just to sort of say hello? No. no. Okay. No. Uh, now, in, in terms of the blues album, are you going to hit the road and start doing uh, more blue shows or, or, or do some blue shows as just Miles Goodwin? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, my my year for that will be next year because most of the festivals and everything are booked now. Uh, and the record just came out. So, and literally the record, it's actually on vinyl. It just came out a couple of days ago. Uh, the CD's been out for about a month and uh, about five weeks. And now the, the vinyl is now available everywhere. Uh, but uh, I have a show in Montreal, the Montreal Blues Festival, which is a great annual blues uh, event here locally in the Montreal area. North, of course, you know where it is. Uh, I'm headlining one night there. I don't remember the exact night, but during that time period that they're having these uh, festivals, I'm headlining one of those nights. I have another headline blues thing in Nova Scotia, and I have one outside of Toronto called the Waterdown Blues Festival. I'll be headlining those three, and I'll probably pick up one or two more, but there won't be a lot, but I will. I do intend to support this this record because I, I believe in it, and it's a lot of fun, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's better. It changes better than the rest sometimes, so. Yeah, it really is. Now I'll do what I can. <laughs> uh, I know you do have to, to run soon, but I just want to ask about this uh, solo album in 88. April Wine, of course, had done uh, Walking Through the Fire in 85. You took a few years off, and then in 88, you decide to do this uh, solo album. Talk to me about sort of the history behind that and, and the time around that. Uh, you know, working with Lee Aaron, who did provided some background vocals and stuff, why the solo album at that time? Why not have having focused more on on April Wine? Uh, well, I've been focused on April Wine for how many years in a row? Thirty five. <laughs> Thirty five. Yeah, how many years in a row up to that point that all I give uh, everything but blood for April Wine? Right. I never took a moment off. All I did was write, tour, write, tour, write, tour. I can continue. <laughs> For, for, for 35 like more that. years. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and God forbid Miles takes a break and does something else for a few minutes. <laughs> right. That's why I did it. <laughs> but but there wasn't a follow-up until this blues album. Why was there not more solo? Well, Miles? I did I did I did what I wanted. I did what I wanted to do. I mean, I was I was hearing a sound that was going on around me and I wanted to have fun with it and I did it. I was also retired. I was living in the Bahamas, and I didn't. And I, I uh, you know, I, I owed the record label uh, a, a, a record, uh, and I did. Uh, um, I did uh, walking through fire, and then I get out of all my contractual stuff. I did uh, the solo album for fun, just for me, and then I then I just uh, golfed and went fishing and so forth, and eventually didn't make a record again until the early 90s when I started getting calls from California to get the band back together. We did a, a CD called Attitude and, and went on from there. And went on from there. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's great stuff. And of course, uh, you mentioned that you have a second book. Is it also more autobiography where it's sort of the second part of uh, just between you and no. me? No. No, it's, it's nothing like that. This is fiction. Just Between You and Me was my memoir. Right. 
uh, a biography, if you will. And this is completely uh, fictional, you know. And it's about Elvis Presley and Tiger Woods, of all things. And uh, I started writing this uh, when I was writing Just Between You and Me. Uh, it was hard to write Just Between You and Me. There were times when it was difficult because of the subject matter. So I took breaks, big, long breaks from it. But I, I loved the routine of writing. I'd be up at 6, 6.30 in the morning when no one was around, nice and clear and, uh, uh, you know, a clean day. And, and I was able to focus. And I just, I wrote Elvis and Tiger before I finished uh, my memoirs. But I put my memoirs out first. And now Tiger and uh, Elvis and Tiger's just come out. And hopefully there'll be more soon, of course. Uh, Miles, I have, I have a couple more books. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. And, and uh, Friends of the Blues is coming up, and April 1's got a special record for next year. So pretty busy. Lots of, lots of good stuff. Um, I, I do know that you have to, to run. You have an appointment. I but do. there you go, yeah. uh, Miles. Absolute pleasure uh, anytime. And uh, thank you for all the music over the years. Yeah, well, well thank you. Hopefully, you know, we'll all stay well, and we'll, we'll hear a lot more music, new music in the future. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, thanks for the time. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope your your fans uh, and your friends uh, listening uh, get a chance to hear the blues record. And uh, and I hope they like it. Well, I, I, listen, I'll, I'll end on this. I've had a chance to hear it. And that song you mentioned before, Brand New Cardboard Belt with uh, Frank playing on it, is absolutely my favorite one on the album. I just love it. I think it's, I don't want to say it's cute. That's not the word for it. It, it's, it speaks to me. That's what, let's go with that. Okay, well, it's it's a fun, it's a very lighthearted, fun romp. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, Frank only plays about three notes. Most of the guitar <laughs> work is done by Steve Siegel, who's right. an amazing guitar player. He played on three or four songs. Right. Uh, that really features him, but, uh, you know, that's a good song. I like it, too. It's a lot of fun writing it. It's about when you used to buy cheap pants back in the day in the 60s when I was growing up. Maybe they still do, but you get a pants with a matching belt that was made of cardboard. If you made the mistake of washing your pants with your belt on, all you got back was the buckle. And so that was the inspiration for the song. Listen, I got to go. Thank cheers. you so much. Thank and you, We'll talk to you later. Yes. Bye-bye now. Cheers. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaVon. Mitch LaVon.